and welcome to episode number 305 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. I'm Carlos and in this week's show everyone's favourite low-cost airline has their luggage policy deemed abusive by the courts and a disruptive passenger is jailed for trying to open a cabin door mid-flight and a US entrepreneur opens his fifth airline. In the military news this week we explore how the Air Force evacuates patients from biological hazard areas that's good for Matt here. Hey. And Captain John Hutchinson talks to Nick about some of the perks of being Concorde pilot, and we have some great audio feedback from Nick Codling. But joining me this week, as always, here in the PTUK studios is my co-host Matt Smith, and joining us via the line this week in an airport somewhere in the world, it's Armando. <laughs> How are we all? So I've got, I've got, I've got to stop the music. Talk to me first. <laughs> How are you, Matt? I'm all right, thank you. Yes, I'm not bad. He can't hear until I stop the music at the uh, other end. You see, that's yes. the trouble. Oh, dear, I knew there was a flaw the in the perks of technology. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm very well, thank you, mate. How about you? It's oh, nice to have you it's back. nice to be back, honestly. Yeah, um, been skiving the last two weeks. Good reasons, <laughs> I know. But uh, Yes, yes, it's been a been a, a hard last couple of, yes. of uh, or last few days. Yeah. But, um, we'll no, perhaps I'm talk back. about that a bit later. Yeah, but, but uh, it's, uh, yes, I'm back, and uh, it's nice to be back in the studio. It's nice to see you've kept things tidy. Uh, yes, yes, I actually put the hoover around specially. Oh, good, good, yeah, good. You know. And uh, we're just missing some snacks. But Matt did have, right. uh, I can confirm, Matt did have <laughs> a, a, a rather large piece of fruitcake before I we did, started absolutely. the show. I did, It was delicious. It was an unusual uh, layer in the fact that all mm. the fruit had gone to the bottom. I but it was still lovely. It was absolutely it was delicious, lovely, absolutely. But uh, never mind all that. We have somebody on the other end who's literally sat, I think the best way to describe this, he's literally sat in like, looks like a departure lounge. Where are you, Armando? <laughs> Yeah, hello everybody. I am in Terminal 4 at Phoenix Sky Harbor International Airport. Uh, a little bit later I'll probably show you the view because it is absolutely gorgeous here. It is sunny, there's palm trees, there's not a cloud in the sky, and uh, this is a wonderful terminal that they've just finished in the last year, I think, so it's uh, looking great. Yeah. Armando, could you please explain to us what that is behind you on that uh, platform? The blue thing. <laughs> I would love to. No, right, okay, good. For those of you listening to the audio podcast, there is a blue-coloured I, I don't know what to describe that. Thing. I don't know, is it, is it a weird kind of... Sh it's, it's a piece of art, that's what it is. I what it you is a piece of then. art. A weird kind of... Sh and you sort of stopped, then. Yeah, I don't know. Then. No, shoe. Ca <laughs> careful. Shoe. Careful. Family show, ladies and gentlemen. Family show. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. so, guys, real quick, before we continue on, it is Valentine's Day. Oh, so yeah. I would I would be remiss if I didn't send a huge shout-out to my lovely wife, who Aww. has supported me... And to every spouse and partner out there in the world that supports each other, especially in aviation, because it's such a weird uh, yeah. business to be in. But yeah. uh, happy Valentine's Day to both my lovely bride, Megan, and my daughter, Maddie, who oh. I sent a Valentine's Day present to, which oh, was oh, it was hilarious. mostly just snacks. Oh, yeah, ticking all the boxes. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's the answer. Well, that's no, very, happy very Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day to everybody out there today. So, okay, so so that's great. I mean, you know, we all know why I'm sat here doing the show, because basically I'm sad, lonely, and nobody loves me. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, 
I mean, like like I the love lovely you. like the lovely Nev and the lovely Armando, who both uh. have beautiful wives. You have a beautiful wife, and here you are, sat next to me on Valentine's Day instead of cuddling your beautiful wife. What is the matter with you? Um, <laughs> that's because I love Matt. He's lovely, oh, honestly. Good, uh, right. For okay. those of you who haven't had a chance to hug Matt yet, he's a lovely guy. My hugs are award-winning. Do you guys know that this is? Li- we are literally living out the scene in Love Actually three quarters through the movie where you have the rock star and the manager and they they just realize they can't be without each other. No, that's no, true. That's that is true. true. Yeah, no, that's that true. is Acc- true. Accents and everything. I feel like I'm watching a, a real life, okay. real time Love Actually, guys. Pay attention because essentially it's going to get very dull as we go further into the show. It's going to be less and less like Love Actually as we get started. But... Uh... So a big warm welcome to everyone who's joined us in the chat room this evening. All the uh, usual family members in there. Auntie Liz, uh, Tanya's in there, Richard Adams, uh, Chris Griggs. Hello to you, Chris. Uh, Cheryl Mandrakey. Hello to you, Cheryl. Oh, welcome. Haven't seen you for a while. For a Hope nice you're to, yeah, well. Dave Abbey. Hello to you, Dave Abbey. Oh, uh, in New York. In New York. In New York. Yeah. Uh, Lara, sorry. <laughs> Lara, Lara Megan Carrion's just come in the chat room because she heard, heard her name that? being called. Did she? Right. Okay. And uh, also, <laughs> Neville Bounds. Oh. Well, well, at least we started on time. That's 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 the main thing. I know. Yeah, slightly less. So Nev's, Nev's yeah. off this week. He's uh, busy sunning himself in the Caribbean. So uh, Nev Is won't he? be on the show this week. Right. Yeah. Okay. Right. Presumably with his wife. Yeah. He'll yeah. come in next week with a tan. <laughs> okay. As right. Good. And on that bombshell. And on that bombshell. <laughs> yes. So I think we better start things off. Okay. So, All right. Yeah. Though we are gonna start the show then, as we do each week, with our rundown of the weekly news from around the world and the UK. So if everyone is ready. Yeah, I'm ready. Ready to go. Let's Let's go. go. So, kicking off this week's first news story. Oh, God, I've looked forward to saying that for so long. (laughs) This is on the CBC.ca website. And uh, it's the airline... Can I just get it out of my system? No, it's the airline manufacturer that (laughs) Matt loves to call... Bombardier! Thank you. I'll be all right now. It's fine. (sighs) I've got it out of my system. Bombardier. Exits the commercial aircraft business uh, in itself. It's remaining A220 stake to Airbus. So uh, Bombardier is getting out of the commercial aviation business as the company moves to pay down its massive debt. The Quebec-based aircraft and train uh, maker said late on Wednesday this week that it sold its remaining stake in the A220 program, formerly known as the C-Series, to the giant that is Airbus. Bombardier has been recognised uh, its business as an effort to pay off a multi-billion dollar debt. It released its financial results for 2019 on Thursday, and Bombardier currently has more than $9 billion U.S. worth of debt in its books against annual revenues of just over $15 billion. The company posted an annual loss of $1.6 billion for the fiscal year, which that's not too bad, uh, which is why the company is moving to sell off its assets to shore up its balance sheet. Uh, They said that we are looking at options, said CEO Alan Bellamare. 
He said, as you can understand, it's a very sensitive. The reason why we're looking at strategic options is to accelerate the leveraging of the business. The strategy was always to exit commercial aircraft, said Bellamare, who has been the CEO since 2015. Under the New Deal, Airbus now owns 75% uh, of Bombardier's commercial aviation business. The Quebec government, which is not injecting any new money into the program, owns 25%. Airbus will pay Bombardier uh, $591 million dollars. Uh, for the stake, and the deal means Bombardier will no longer be required to make investments of approximately $700 million into the program. The deal also includes a three-year guarantee of the jobs, which is always good, belonging to the 360 people who construct the aircraft's cockpits at the plant in Montreal, uh, in the borough of Ville-Saint-Laurent. After that, they will be transferred to Maribel Gouy. Guess that's how you sell it, or Q. Uh, in an air, all Airbus said that the deal secures uh, a total of 3,300 jobs in Quebec. Bombardier said in January that it was recessing its ongoing participation in its partnership with Airbus to manufacture the A220. So now, just out of interest, I mean, how do we feel about this story? Because, I mean, the the the, the big the big thing is is. Uh, for me personally, Bombardier was was one of the few companies that was really trying, if you like, not to steal like Boeing and Airbus's crowd, but it was the only real. And I know uh, most of the stuff they did were like the re the little regional jets, weren't they? Mm, that the people yeah. would be using. But I mean, part of me feels that this is a bit sad. It's a bit a bit actually sad that they're leaving what we know as commercial, commercial aviation. aviation. I yeah. mean, I don't I don't know, uh, Armando, what you think about that. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you guys. I'm, I'm curious. Now, it didn't really specify. It says it's selling off its commercial uh, aircraft uh, division that they're pretty big into the private sector right now. They're still making uh, the Challenger, the Global Series. The I think they were even making Learjets. So right. I'm curious if they're going to continue to do because the Global is a is a very good selling airplane it's probably the future of business aviation yeah. so i wonder if airbus will pick up that division also um Cause very curious I'm, i mean because they've had shares in it for a while haven't they um airbus have had yeah. shares in bombardier for a while haven't they and mm. i think uh, this is a lot of this is where they've actually um that they've actually taken a, a larger stake in this haven't haven't they if i recall so I think it's something like nearly seventy-five percent now, isn't it? I think you read it out, didn't you? They was they, they were saying, but I mean, I don't I don't know what the the um, chat room. Oh, hello! Don't know. Hello. Is that me? Update. Apparently, I've just Update. received an email. Sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> sorry. I, I mean, I don't know what the the, uh, the chat room thinks about this, but um, I mean, Liz is just saying that uh, us Canadian taxpayers have been propping them up for for years. They had to do this, which is a good point. So mm. I, I suppose it's better than one going bust. Isn't it? I guess. But uh, Airbus, we all know Airbus. Uh, you know, they're obviously they're loving the the two twenty. The yes, yes you know, This is a, a really popular aircraft. Yeah. That Airbus have uh, kind of rubbing their hands together. I think that they've yeah. got this off. Uh, well, I think the Airbus uh, the two twenty is going to start selling much quicker now. I, we're going to have a story a little bit later about a new airline that is going solely with 
the Airbus 220. Mm. Yeah, which which is uh, you know well exciting for them, as you say. Uh, uh, Mike has suggested that um, he's been being propped up by the Canadian government for some quite some time as well, <laughs> uh, which is sad to hear. Uh, sorry about that, Micah. <laughs> anyway, we'll move on to the next story, and uh, I'm a little oh, bit sad, sad about this story. Sad about news. this is this is this is on uh, com. Uh, Obviously, story number two means it's a Ryanair story, uh, and essentially, I mean, this is my own little headline. I'm gonna I'm gonna say this out loud. I'm gonna put it out there. The king of spin is moving on. Ryanair's marketing boss, Kenny Jacobs, the one whose sound bites we all love, is leaving the airline. So Kenny Jacobs is a well-known member of Ryanair's senior management team and he's frequently represented the airline at industry events. Given his prominent role at the company, his departure is something of a shock. Ryanair chief marketing officer Kenny Jacobs, who spearheaded the airline's drive to improve customer service, that went well, uh, is to leave his position after six years at the end of April to pursue other challenges, he told Reuters on Monday. Uh, Jacobs, who joined Ryanair at the start of 2014, was the architect of the airline, airline's always getting better drive um, to improve customer service and was charged with overhauling the company's website to adapt to individual customer preferences. I will enjoy a summer off with the family and then look for my next challenge, he said. Uh, Chief Executive Michael O'Leary said in an emailed statement that Ryanair's digital presence and customer service had been transformed under Jacobs over the last six years. Uh, Over the period, Ryanair has boosted the proportion of its revenue earned from optional extras such as assigned seating and additional baggage from just over 20% to over 30%. Uh, Kenny was the author of the successful Always Getting Better brand six years ago when he first joined and he has championed many of the successful customer service improvements we have launched in recent years which has underpinned our successful growth and evolution O'Leary said. Uh, so the, the move comes as Ryanair shifts to a group structure appointing chief executives to lead several smaller subsidiaries with each report to O'Leary as group chief executive. His exit comes a month after Ryanair's chief operating officer Peter Bello uh, joined rival EasyJet, I bet that didn't go down very well, uh, after a court case that found his 12-month non-compete clause was unenforceable. Oh dear. So uh, yes, so so sad news really, I think. Being Being a user of Ryanair now for a number of years, Yes. well over well over 10 well probably 10 years plus now that we've been using Ryanair mm. this it's definitely the website definitely improved oh yeah um, absolutely from if you go back say 7 or 8 years ago mm. when the website was um yeah wanting right, not, in certain areas okay right. it is it's a very easy website yeah. to use um but one of the things i i you you do notice and Matt will know what why this particular thing does but if you go and look uh, for a flight on the website yeah and then come off and go back a few hours oh, later. Oh, it's gone up. Yeah, It's gone up in yeah, price. Yeah. yeah, it is, yeah. <laughs> uh, a lot of that is to do with analytics, basically. Yeah. They're monitoring the amount of... Basically, they're monitoring how many people are looking for certain flights. If demand goes over a certain mm. number, then the price goes up. I mean, but then, you know, they're not silly, are they? They know what they're doing. But six um, years, though, it's not long to stay with an airline. Really? I, I don't mean, know. In that sort of, in that sort of job, in the position that he was in, he six got years is quite a long time. Mm. Well, because usually people, I may be speaking slightly out of turn here, but I mean, usually people like Kenny Jacobs come in to do a specific task. Mm. So if they have got problems with customer service, for example, he'll be brought in to basically. He's he's a what, what best way to describe him is one of these fixers. You know, he goes into a company, fix what's wrong, and then moves on. Um, and you know, there's a lot of people that sort of do that. Really, I wonder whether whether he'll keep his um, friends and family discount. 
Uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, I mean, he got a pleasant statement out of O'Leary, so he's, I wouldn't say he's leaving under a cloud for a change. But uh, uh, have you actually been spared or have you actually been on a Ryanair flight, uh, Armando? Oh, no, I used to use Ryanair quite a bit when yeah. I lived over there. Yeah, I think we all do. I mean, I, I've said it loads of times, haven't I? They're the buses of the skies at the end of the day. You know, you get what you pay for. Exactly. You, you know. Exactly. <laughs> but anyway, uh, on to slightly more pleasant things now, Armando. Now this story, story suits Armando. Absolutely, especially what you were saying earlier. Yeah. I still feel quite sick. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> well, I'm going to continue the schmoopy whoopy theme Aww. because if you guys remember, last year we talked about how Megan and I actually met on an airplane. Oh. Uh, specifically American Airlines Flight 5774 from <laughs> Lubbock to Dallas-Fort Worth, which I still remember. Like it was yesterday, but this story is from the folks over at Travel Pulse, and it is on Valentine's Day. Today, if you happen to be listening live, your first drink is on Southwest Airlines. So whether you're traveling with a significant other or not, uh, the airline, whose whole existence is based around its stock exchange ticker symbol, LUV or love, uh, wants to celebrate Valentine's Day with you. Southwest airline passengers will enjoy a free Valentine's Day drink during their flight on Friday to celebrate the holiday. That includes alcoholic drinks for those 21 and over, and you have to prove it, uh, ordering off its winter beverage menu. They say since Dallas Love Field was the carrier's first departure city, and the airline had an innate heartfelt affection for its customers, a love theme was quick to catch on. Uh, Southwest immediately requested love as its New York Stock Exchange ticker symbol and forever changed the airline's spelling of the word love. It's not the first time that Southwest has given out freebies to its passengers. It has done so also on Valentine's Day previously and on Halloween. Our heart is all yours, said the airline on its menu. So this is one free drink. Enjoy one round on us this Valentine's Day. And the folks over at uh, Travel Pulse remind them that also coming up are President's Day, St. Patrick's Day, Flag Day, Fourth of July, <laughs> Arbor Day, National Mountain Climbing Day, National Tailgating Day, Cheese Pizza Day, World Teachers Day, <laughs> all of which are prime opportunities to give freebies to their passengers. Well, quite. Yeah. And, and Matt <laughs> is going to fly over to the U.S. and bring out a new day, which is going to be called Cheese Day. Oh, my favorite thing in the whole world. Mm. Do you know, that's the, as I say, that's the best thing about um, looking after Carlos's houses because Gemma always buys me lots of cheese to enjoy. Oh, yes, dear. yes. Yeah, that's good to know. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Yeah. All right, PTUK fans. Now you know what to get, Matt, for oh, Christmas and every other cheese. holiday. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it, it is shameless. I know. I can't, I can't, uh, I can't deny it. There'll be vast oh, no, quantities. If the, if the doctor told me that you're like, you know, you've got to stop <laughs> eating cheese or you're going to be ill for the rest of your life i will be ill for the rest of my life there's there's no there's no i mean if i was to ever become lactose intolerant i would have to find a way around it there's no there's no two ways about it uh, uh tanya agrees with in the chat room tanya w says yay cheese day yeah so definitely. I think I it's think the future. we're gonna have to have a cheese day i think day. it's the future yeah i think yeah. we should invent one we'll have to pick a date okay all right. I mean, my birthday works for me. Perhaps the next PT, <laughs> the next PTK me. meetup in the UK will be <laughs> Cheese Day. Will be officially be Cheese Day. Yeah. Right. Okay. Anyway, uh, should we move on to the next story, <laughs> which is uh, this one? Oh, well, Masha says it's Cheese Day every day here. Oh, okay. For <laughs> long as I'm just going to say, as long as it's not that horrible blue cheese. Oh, <gasps> that's the best cheese. <laughs> 
Oh, something wrong with you. Move, move oh, on. Come on. Next hideous. story. I'm cross with you now. Next story is on... <laughs> it stinks as well. Next story is on uh, skynews.com. Ah, yes. And uh, for those of you who would love to open up a door on an aircraft, probably not a good idea and you won't get very not far anyway. Flight, yeah. So, uh, Chloe Haynes jailed after attempting to open aircraft door midway through a Stansted flight. Mm. Now, judging by the picture on here, I can see why she wanted to jump out. But anyway, a woman who yelled... <laughs> I'm going to kill you all, and tried to open the door of an aircraft midway through a flight, has been jailed for two years. Chloe Haynes, 26, was handed the prison sentence at Chelmsford Crown Court on Wednesday this week, following an incident on board a flight from Stansted Airport on the 22nd of June last year. Two Royal Air Force fighter jets were scrambled to meet the Jet 2 flight, which was heading to Dalaman in Turkey, and escort it back to the Essex Airport. Haynes, uh, whose passengers and cabin crew had fought to restrain, was arrested by police when the aircraft landed. A court later heard how she blacked out and really didn't remember what had happened uh, on the flight after mixing alcohol with medication. Haynes of High Wycombe had previously admitted to hearing in December uh, to a uh, hearing in December to endangering the safety of an aircraft and assaulting cabin crew members uh, Charlie Coombe. It says here, Mrs. Coombe suffered scratches as she tried to prevent Haynes from opening the aircraft door. So two years, um, you know, you're 26 years old, you're going to jail for two years. Not really good, mm-hmm. um, but then. When you're mixing alcohol, so with, rem- uh, remind me what was the, what was the figure again that, that they said that uh, um, Jet Two said it cost them was it eighty six thousand pounds something yeah, like that? It's quite. A I mean, just to, I mean, Armando, you may be able to answer this question, question for me. I don't really know. It's like so in in this case because uh, obviously there there were two uh, RAF jets that were scrambled uh, to go out and so, for want of a better word, rescue. You're right there. So. <laughs> <laughs> sounded like something just exploded where you are. <laughs> well, let's hope not. No, yeah. no, indeed. That's not even funny. I'll, I'll stop laughing. Um, but no, so, so uh, the, the scrambling of a couple of jets, obviously. Now, now they said that it cost them £86,000. Would would they have been made to... Would Jet 2 have been made to pay for the fact that the that two RAF jets have been scrambled? No, it's highly unlikely that the government would charge, per se, right. uh, for that. Uh, one... We sort of need it. Yeah, <laughs> we yeah. need it for validation of our operations and our uh, tactics. Mm-hmm. If uh, if you have a real world response as opposed to a training response, it just adds another level of uh, I don't know imperative to it. So it's always good. I I, I doubt the, the RAF or any Air Force would would charge for anything right. like that. Okay. And then as far as the eighty six thousand pounds, unfortunately. Uh, that's just kind of part of the business. So a medical emergency completely out of somebody's hands could easily cost an airline a hundred thousand dollars. Right. You know, for, for example, I was on Norwegian flying from Gatwick to Oakland, California, and we had a medical emergency over Calgary. So the aircraft had to do a quick descent, a rapid descent down, uh, this man was having a very, very serious medical condition situation where, of course, there was doctors on board. We always say that. And the doctors had had told the, the cabin crew, we, we got to get down. He's he's not, we can't do anything with the stuff that we have here. And, uh, you know, we landed very quickly at the Calgary airport where there is no Norwegian presence. We were, I was on a Dreamliner on a uh, 787. 
you know, and, and the ground handling is probably going to cost them. The fuel's going to cost them. The uh, government will probably get some kind of landing fee out of that. So it could easily cost. And that, that is a daily occurrence probably multiple times a day for each airline. So it's just kind of part of the business. Now, I do agree with recouping costs from the passengers yeah. that. I mean, do, yeah. do we do we think that's the, the thing is, is, I mean, I, I don't know. Are they going to make her pay £86,000 for that? I mean, or, or will they be made, will she be made to like just pay a, a percentage of it perhaps? Well, I think that's, my opinion is that's where you leave it up to the courts. You know, yeah. that they'll evaluate her, her, uh, her means of living and her way of life and to say, you know, hey, we think for you an appropriate penance is such mm. and such number. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, two years in jail. I mean, I presume, I mean, I, I, when we were talking about this last night um, in our production meeting, there was, I mean, one of the things that, that I was sort of spitballing is I felt like, I, I don't know, I, I don't remember somebody doing jail time before for something like this. Normally fines, yeah. Yeah, it's normally fines. I mean, this was obviously a very serious case, and I may remember a uh, covering it when it first came, when mm. it sort of happened, uh, um, sort of a uh, few months back. But it was, um, yeah, there's the, the lots of things that really worry me about about that story. I mean, although to be fair, Micah has said in the chat room here she was a crazy person that needed to be subdued and put in uh, flex cuffs, which is um, not a stupid idea. Um, well, said, although although the know, woman was crazy, there was probably no reason to scramble a jet. There was no way she was going to open the door at altitude. Uh, the air pressure wouldn't allow for it, Micah is saying. Sure, exactly. And we've talked about that before. I think a couple of times a year, some, somebody tries to open a, a door. but uh, And then you sort of had to take that into effect, too. Is was the Did the person have all of their facilities? Did they, you know, was it a combination of medication? Were they a, a mentally ill person? Were they, you know, what, what led to the circumstances? Because surely you can't, you can't prosecute someone who in a court is proven to uh, to not have had control, you know, at that moment or something. But that's that's literally your my opinion is you have to leave it to the court to figure out. Yeah, I guess I, the trouble is, is I'm 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 being perhaps I'm being too cynical in my old age. You know, I am 43 now. Um, there is this thing where I'm sort of thinking, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, she's saying she completely blacked out. It just sounds like a really convenient excuse that's been given to the courts. Um, but then I wasn't there. I wasn't obviously present at the court hearing, so obviously I'm just saying stuff out loud, um, so I probably shouldn't. But, uh, I mean, do do you think, I mean, as I say, I don't recall jail time being given out before. I mean, do you think this is a sufficient de deterrent uh, for other people to sort of discourage them from doing it, or do you think it'll make no difference? I mean, do you think they'll just sort of do jail, it anyway? I think jail time is more of a deterrent than, than uh, um, um, money, because... Yeah. Someone probably hasn't got eighty thousand pound or ninety thousand yeah, or hundred thousand pound lying so around, so they're, they're never going to yeah. pay that money. No, but to put them in jail is, you know, mm. it's going to hurt. Yeah, I don't know. Mm. We'll see. Anyway, uh, we'll move on to the next story. I love this next story. Yeah, okay. This is so, really good. Well, I, I, I do and I don't, because actually it's quite sad news, isn't it, really? So this is on the PessMedia.com uh, website, and I, as I say, I think this is sad news. Um, the pictures are awesome. Yeah, the final Airbus A380 wing has left Broughton in Wales, heading, the, uh, heading for the aircraft manufacturer's site in Toulouse. 
for the final assembly. Um, and uh, yeah, so Airbus is winding down its production of the jumbo jet, which is the world's largest passenger plane following its decision last year to stop producing it by 2021. Uh, the main reason for halting production is the low number of planes sold. Airbus's head of business uh, and analysts and market forecast Bob Lange commented, in the end, you have to face facts, and uh, we could see that we were building the A380s faster than people were ordering them. Uh, the existing A380 facilities at um, in Toulouse will be converted into A321 uh, bases to increase production uh, capability and accommodate a digitalized final assembly line. Uh, Airbus designs and manufactures the wings for its civil aviation craft uh, at uh, two sites in the UK employing 13,500 people. The aircraft manufacturer also employs around 110,000 people in its UK supply chain. Uh, Filton in South Gloucestershire is where the engineering and design work takes place and a site in Broughton, South Wales is where all wing assemblies take place and other major wing components in, in manufacturing. Uh, so Airbus Chief Executive uh, I'm not even going to try that anyway the Airbus... <laughs> Yeah, I'm not even going to give that a go. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, anyway, they recently said there was a lot of hope Boris Johnson's new Brexit withdrawal agreement uh, will be the foundation of a healthy EU relationship. Mr. Fowry said uh, there's a lot of work to be done, but there's a lot of hope that based on the withdrawal agreement, there will be a healthy relationship between the UK and the EU. And we are trying to play a role in explaining what is necessary. Britain left the EU and uh, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Sorry, I said that word, didn't I? Yeah, but uh, I mean, I think this is a sad story because it is a sad story. I, I don't know, it's, obviously it's, the, it's an airline, yeah. you know, it's an aircraft that um, you know should have been made sort of thirty years ago, and I think we'd be talking about it with the same love and affection mm. that we do the seven four seven. But um, you know, there we are. It, it, I, I love it, the attention to detail because um, you know this wing's been shipped out. There's a picture here with it. Uh, uh, on 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 this uh, low loader carrier, but it's all yeah. shrink wrapped, really, yeah. really, really well shrink. And then on the end of the shrink wrap, it's actually got their final A three eighty wing. Yeah. We made it fly, and then the Airbus logo, which I think yeah. is really quite yeah, nice. a really nice touch actually. Um, how do you feel about this one, Armando? I just love the pictures in the article. I could. I could watch a wing go by yeah, all day absolutely. long. Absolutely. Oh, again, again we, we were we were researching it last night. Actually, and I was intrigued to know um, how it um, like how it went from Broughton. So it basically goes by like roads to the river, river like up to like the the port. Then it's then it goes over in because I because I didn't know you know me being special. I was sort of saying perhaps it was flown over in the Beluga, but of course you know you it's they're just not long enough, are they? I suppose. But uh, yeah, a lot it, of components are flown over. Yeah, the yeah. No, I know, yeah. and and that. Was the other thing I was wondering is like where where in the UK do they land? So when the beluga comes to drop bits and pieces off, where where do they? Oh, I did know where that do, was. That's a good. That's a great chat room question. Yes. Yeah, okay. Somebody in the chat room will answer it. We'll that's come, why we have a chat room. We do. Yeah. Absolutely. Somebody will know the answer to that. We'll but come. no, great pictures on that story. Uh, they are. Yeah, well, they're, absolutely. They're massive, aren't they? Those wings. And I know. It, it's a. Uh, reminiscent of the space shuttle. How they carry the space <laughs> shuttle from its hangar out to the launch pad. I mean. Wow, this, uh, uh, you know, and when we talked about manufacturing processes with uh, oh Airbus, the VP of Airbus, and Filton apparently, oh Filton, that's it. Yeah, so yeah. Filton, uh, Har Har Harwarden is it? Harwarden, Filton, and Airbus Hogwarten. Chester. 
Hogwarts. No, it's not Hogwarts. That's, he- <laughs> that's where helicopters are made. We've discussed this before. Uh, but uh, yeah, was, no, they're great. Actually, while we're talking about pictures, if you don't mind, uh, this this lovely picture that we have on our backdrop behind us tonight, um, this was actually sent uh, to us by um, Owen as he was then flying out uh, over to uh, Bucharest. But that was actually that's actually a view from um, from Dubai as 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 he mm. was flying out. I've, so. I've, I've, I've been been there. Have you? Right. I've yeah. Well, there. yes, absolutely. So yes, so that's. That's what's uh, that's what's behind Carlos and me tonight, actually, which is lovely. Anyway, uh, moving on, the next story I think is with you, Armando. Yeah, so I'm going to try to do my best to slow down this story because it's got okay. a lot of uh, factors to it. Okay. Yeah. So uh, from Flight Global, uh, this is regarding the Emirates Triple Seven that. Uh, that had a mishap. So investigators have disclosed that an Emirates Boeing 777-300 captain perceived the aircraft had encountered a thermal updraft and would not be able to land in the touchdown zone at Dubai before an ill-fated go-around attempt resulted in the jets crashing on the runway. When it had already explained why the go-around had failed, the United Arab Emirates General Civil Aviation Authority has given a detailed insight into the decision-making which resulted in the 777 crews opting to abort the 3 August 2016 landing. They state that the aircraft had been conducting a stable approach to runway 12 left in a tailwind, but that early in the flare around 40 feet, the captain believed a thermal updraft from the hot pavement was obstructing the descent or making them float down the runway. so it, it caused this long flare and the aircraft was, was just rolling down the runway. The investigators revealed that the captain remarked these thermals. Uh, he, he actually announced it about four, 840 meters past the threshold uh, beyond the touchdown zone, which is located between 305 meters and 610 meters. So both pilots perceived the thermal effects the inquiry points out that neither had actually noticed a shift in a wind direction as they were approaching that that threshold. So the tailwind had diminished and swung around to be a headwind just before the touchdown, increasing the aircraft speed. Uh, 12 minutes prior to the 777's arrival, uh, a Boeing 737 crew had reported light to medium wind shear on short final to one two left. And an aircraft immediately following that 737 in A321 was informed by tower controllers about the wind shear report. And the four subsequent arrivals, a 777, uh, all, sorry, all Emirates 777s were not advised of these wind shear reports. Um, the, after that initial 737 report, the next arrival in A320 and a, uh, another 777, they executed go-arounds based on those wind shear, wind shear warnings. So I'll stop there. So they issued a couple warnings, and then they just stopped uh, right when the mishap aircraft, while there was still wind shear. Uh, so Emirates' own policy requires pilots to consider, a keyword, uh, go-around if landing cannot be achieved within the touchdown zone. So the airline says the captain's decision to go around was consistent with the airline policy. However, there was a problem. The, uh, the aircraft had some warning systems 
but it it actually ended up touching down and the aircraft touched down for long enough like six seconds to disable the go-around function so on most of these aircraft there's just a go-around button and that will uh, sequence the navigation as well as operate the auto throttles into a go-around uh, power setting so the aircraft had touched down long enough that that was disabled so when they hit the go-around button the navigation went up but the power did not and they did not physically move the power levers up so when they pulled back uh, on the controls they thought they had full power when so the airplane lifted off for a little bit the gear started to retract in compliance with all the go-around procedures but they actually had no power um, oh, wow. so and, and then the aircraft you know sort of came to a rest and slid slid to the end um, I, I don't believe anybody was killed in this I, I think there was a few injuries I think one of the uh, ground, but, one of the firefighters. I think well, I think it was a firefighter. That's right. Killed. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. Um, so this is just a procedural failure uh, on on a couple different aspects. You know, you had the the tower. It would be interesting to see the final report as to why the tower stopped issuing those warnings, uh, why the crew didn't follow the proper go around procedure and physically verify that that go around power was set. So, I mean, another sort of preventable accident, but just uh, the error chain happened. <laughs> and, you know, a couple of things lining up resulted in a mishap. Yeah, now, I mean, I, I had a good chat with um, uh, one of our mutual friends, flies on the 777 quite a lot. Um, and uh, one of the things they that, that was interesting, they're looking at from a, a uh, cabin crew uh, point of view was saying, um, you know, sort of passengers, you know, how do you get them not to stand up? Uh, it comments about passengers standing up inhibiting the cabin crew's jobs. Cabin crew's not uh, getting to where they need to be because of passengers standing up. Uh, the very uh, the very people that will save you in an emergency have to be able to do their job. Worth mentioning, though, that everybody was evacuated safely despite the fact that there were several slides covering half the exits due to wind lifting the slides up. Uh, and interestingly enough, this crash is now used uh, in several airlines to, in training when it comes to talking about good actions from cabin crew. So I suppose, you know, it, uh, you're saying one of the firefighters um, lost his life. Mm. Uh, the people on the plane, actually, you know, everybody was safely evacuated. Um, so yeah, interesting. Really, it's um, yeah. It's taken a while for this one to come out because this was back in 2016, wasn't it? It's a few years ago. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's about that's about right for a final okay. report. You know. Yeah. Um, just recently, the the Atlas air crash uh, last year. Yeah. I mean that that took a full year for for that report to come out. And, okay. And even then, there's probably still more data, but a year to two years for a final is about right. That's... If you really want to do a, a, a diligent investigation. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We'll move on to the next story then. Uh, Carlos, this one is with you, and um, I, I I feel like this has been on the cards for quite a long time. Yeah, we're struggling uh, airlines uh, in Italy. You know, Air, uh, Alitalia has obviously had its um, share mm. of uh, issues over the last few years. 
And this story comes on gatechecked.com. The headline, Air Italy to be liquidated, suspending operations after February the 25th. Uh, Air Italy uh, is one of those airlines that's got quite a nice... I do like the livery yeah, on there. Yeah, it's very like sort of jazzy, isn't yes, it? Yes, yeah. uh, the rumour mill was abuzz early this week with talks of Air Italy being on the verge of bankruptcy. The airline shareholders, uh, Al Zidar and Qatar Airways, uh, through AQA Holdings, SPA, held a meeting to determine the way forward giving the company's dire liquiding, uh, liquidity issues. Uh, the board has since reached a decision to enter liquidation uh, in bonus, or voluntary liquidation, and will discontinue flights after the th February the 25th uh, this year. The company will pay off all its respective creditors and employees during the winding down stages. According to the press release this week, the airline will continue operating from now until the 25th of uh, February and will try to accommodate affected passengers as best as possible during that time. Those who cannot be reaccommodated in the next few weeks will be fully refunded. Uh, it says here that uh, please see the following press releases that they released on this site for more info. So from 11th of February to the 25th of February 2020, inclusive or all Air Italy flights will be operated by other carriers uh, at the times and on those days previously scheduled all passengers who are booked on flights outward or return after the 25th of February will be protected or fully refunded. All scheduled flights outward upon return and up to including the 25th of February, including the first departures on the morning of the 26th of February 2020 of domestic flights to Malpensa from Mal and Dakar airports will be regularly operated without any changes to the original scheduled dates and times on the same flight conditions. Passengers will be able to fly using their tickets. Alternatively, passengers can also opt for a full ticket refund by emailing the address on this site. That's refunds at airitaly.com. Or contacting their travel agency prior to their flight's departure time. All tickets uh, scheduled to depart after the 25th of tw uh, February this year and to return on the 25th of February 2020, the outward journeys that are going to be regularly operated without any changes to the original scheduled dates and times and the flight conditions with regards to the flights and return flights and the passengers are going to be offered the travel options on those particular flights. So there are the flight numbers on here and the phone numbers and stuff mm. if anyone is listening who may have a flight. But yeah, they'll be in the show notes. So uh, they'll the be in the show in notes, its, in its entirety, um, yeah. which is a shame. Uh, since the acquisition on the 28th of September 2017, a minority air stake in Air Italy, Qatar Airways is strongly believed in the company and its uh, potential supporting management's proposed business plans with a view to improving Air Italy's growth and job creation with the additional of long-haul routes and the numerous flight service improvements in line with Qatar Airways' global renowned high standards. But despite the minority shareholders' role, Qatar Airways continuously provided all possible supports to Air Italy right from the beginning, uh, from releasing aircraft from the fleet and ordering new aircraft for Air Italy uh, to back management choices and injecting capital and investment as required and permitted. It's obviously this didn't work. Um, it's been on the cards for a while, I think, mm. now. It's a shame that these airlines do struggle, and it just seems to be, you know... Well, I mean, you, you, you in and around Europe, you have these yeah. airlines such as Air Italy, and obviously Alitalia, as you said, well, struggle. You know, Fly Flyby is still going because of sort of mm. help from the UK government, really, which I know has put a lot of companies' uh, noses out of joint, really. And I can I can understand why. 
uh, to be fair. Also, I think it's worth just mentioning also this week, um, Turkey's Atlas Global um, carrier, air mm. carrier, is, uh, is bankrupt and has stopped operations also this week. Uh, although what's interesting about this one is that uh, they're basically operating until the 25th. Mm. So it's unlike um, where we've had collapses here in the UK. And they just where they finish. Yeah, right absolutely. Yeah, and, yeah. and then suddenly there's this massive repatriation sort of program that has to kick in to, to get everyone home. Um, at least this way, there's sort of almost like a plan in place to sort of you know cover everything I, I guess it's sad I mean there's two things one is obviously the staff the pilots the crews absolutely yeah. that's really bad and sad for those guys and girls mm. because they're obviously going to be out of work mm. hopefully they'll get jobs with other airlines yeah, yeah and stuff but also for the for the people who have booked flights and stuff on these mm. you know the, the, the you know passengers and let's not forget you know that's why we have things called credit cards and yep. holiday insurances yep. yeah, yeah, because yeah. to cover for for just such instances like this, so you know, nine times out of ten, you're not going to lose your money. Uh, no, when things like this happen. No, we live in hope. Yes. Mm. Anyway, we'll move on to the next story. This is on a business report, and uh, Virgin Atlantic renews Cape Town to Heathrow um, flight after six year abstinence. So this the story is coming out of Johannesburg. Richard Branson's Virgin Atlantic on Wednesday announced the renewal of daily seasonal services between uh, London Heathrow and Cape Town. It said the service, which would operate on a Boeing 787-9 aircraft, would start on the 25th of October, in addition to Virgin Atlantic's existing daily service to Johannesburg. Uh, this marks Virgin's return to Cape Town since after its long-standing route was cut in 2014. Uh, the Chief Commercial Officer, Mr Javian, uh, at Virgin Atlantic said that uh, on Virgin Atlantic's website 2020 is an extremely exciting year of continued growth for Virgin Atlantic. Not only are we launching a new service to Sao Paulo uh, in March, but we're delighted to announce a new seasonal service to Cape Town. He said Virgin was expecting a high proportion of leisure travellers on this route taking advantage of the winter sun with uh, the safaris and of course the world famous wine region. Virgin Atlantic said that the new services would be on sale from the 18th of February. Return economy fares started from £713 per person. Uh, Virgin will be competing with Qatar, KLM, British Airways, SAA, amongst others. The announcement comes at a, a time local state-owned carrier SAA is in, business, in, is in business rescue and culling loss-making routes. Um, so the VS 478 will operate a night flight departing Heathrow at 16.20, arriving into Cape Town at 05.55, whereas inbound VS-479 will depart at 0800 hours, landing later that day at 1800, as in 6 o'clock uh, return economy fares start from £713 per person. So, come on, so this, this, this route is being um, fired up again. Uh, is there a route that's been cancelled that you would let, let's go to uh, Armando first. Is there a route that's been cancelled that you know of that you would love to see being reinstated? Oh, that's a tough one. I, I suppose not off the top of my head. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I mean I, yeah. I've got one for 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 me actually. One of the one of the few things that uh, I used to use Ryanair for on quite a regular basis was uh, flying into Derry, and and because they stopped the service into Derry um, sort of several years back now, but it's not very far. It's the nearest airport to where my auntie lives in in um, County uh, County Tyrone. So uh, I mean, I was quite sort of gutted when they cancelled that. 
Um, but what about you, Carlos? Is there a, a route that you wish they'd uh, reinstate? Not the top of my head. You know, looking at all the destinations that I've flown in my years, um, you can pretty much get to all the destinations that I've ever been to. There's nothing that's really stopped, um, I think, per se. I think it would... One of the routes, I think, would be nice to have back being, you know... Um, a lover of Malta would be for Malta, Air Malta to fly back to Norwich right. uh, Airport again. Okay. Uh, because obviously they used to fly. I don't think fly. anybody can afford that. That's the problem. That is the problem, yeah. <laughs> uh, they used to fly from Norwich to, to Malta. Um, but they stopped. <laughs> uh, Richard Adams suggesting Beckles to Malta would make you very happy. Or London Beckles. Yeah. London Beckles, London Beckles yes. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that would be nice. But uh, just looking on Virgin's website, actually, mm. to look at these flights, and uh, there's actually no available flights on the 20th. The, the flights start, uh, according to the Virgin website, uh, from the 28th of October. You can book a flight to uh, to Cape Town in mm. South Africa. But uh, on the 25th, there's no there's no seats available. Right, okay. They must have booked, sold then. out. Mind you, I think, again, I say, because uh, this has come as a bit of a shock to everyone, we do actually fact-check these stories before we put them in the show mm. notes. I know that's a shock to everyone. Um, and one of the things we were looking at, actually, uh, we were looking at before, and they were very popular flights when they were there before. And it was a bit like one of those where nobody really understood why the flights had been cancelled in the first place, because they were very popular routes, and people were always... You know, the, the planes were really, you know, low uh, in, in numbers, but um, I don't know whether, I mean, I, I mean, I was spitballing sort of possible sort of um, political reasons, maybe, I don't know, but mm. uh, who knows. So the next story, Armando, for you is uh, regarding an airline that I absolutely love this colour. Oh, do you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're very pretty, aren't they? So JetBlue founder David Nealman launched his fifth startup airline on Friday and announced that the new carrier would be called Breeze. The airline, which was previously codenamed Moxie, and I think we did a story on that last year, mm. has just submitted its application for an airline operating certificate with the FAA and the U.S. Department of Transportation. The airline has been under discussion for several years as Nealman worked to order aircraft and finalize plans. After JetBlue, Nealman, who was born in Brazil and raised in Utah, uh, returned to Brazil, where he launched the low-cost airline Azul. Uh, Azul entered the Brazilian market by launching routes between dozens of small and mid-sized cities that previously did not have direct flights from Brazil's larger airlines. He says it has really transformed Brazil in ways I could have never imagined. A lot of cities we fly to, it's either you go on us or you take a four-day boat ride out there. Um, there were operational challenges. The strategy paid off. Uh, Azul, which has a market capitalization of more than 2.8 billion US dollars, has no competition on 70% of its routes. Oh, wow. And it is dominant on 89% of its routes, uh, Nealman said in a previous interview. So with Breeze, Nealman plans to follow essentially the same strategy as uh, Azul, and he's going to launch point-to-point -point flights in markets that bigger airlines have either overlooked or didn't consider to be worth the effort. Uh, so the opportunity, according to the, to Nealman, the opportunity exists because as costs increase for airlines, they have a tendency to retrench their network and focus on their hubs and operate larger airplanes. They, be, they leave behind smaller, less traffic destinations, creating an opportunity for us. We think there's a market where you can go with a smaller plane with the lower trip cost 
and service these cities that have been forgotten or neglected. I would be very surprised if a single Moxie route had uh, nonstop service competition. There are literally hundreds and hundreds of city pairs that are crying out for nonstop flights. Uh, the best part of the story, the airline has ordered 60 brand new Airbus A220-300 aircraft. So that is a longer version of the A220-100s that have been highly successful for Delta. And Air Canada recently uh, began flying the A220-300. Breeze also plans to lease uh, 30 Embraer E195 jets from Azul. A little cross-pollination there. Uh, Deliveries of which will begin in May 2020. The A220s are expected to start arriving in 2021. Um, article kind of goes on a little bit with some more of his quotes. But so this gentleman made JetBlue an incredibly successful airline. Mm. And I have to believe in this model because the airline that I fly for, this is exactly what we do. Right. We, we establish routes to underserviced cities. And there are both local and federal government subsidies uh, to aid in uh, stimulating the economies of those cities. So there are uh, regular, call it justification packages that are submitted to the Department of Transportation. Then they make decisions on, on, yes, we will subsidize, establish, and sort of put our stamp of approval mm-hmm. on some of on some of these routes. So I think it's a, a great a model. You know, I, I, we could start, uh, this, this could be the, the thing that uh, some of these small towns need just to be able to put up a billboard and say a nonstop jet service to Salt Lake City. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, I mean I... according to their um, page, I just looked at them here, they're not going to offer in-flight entertainment, obviously. Right. Um, but instead, they're going to offer entertainment through a streamable service using the airline's app. Right, yeah. Which I think, to be honest, is probably the way to go, especially with a lot of these mm. low-cost low, low cost carriers. I mean, never mind all this, though. But, I mean, who's going to write the email and pitch Peter UK Airlines to Mr. Neilman? Uh, who's mm. who's going to do that? Yeah. That I mean, blue, I, though. That blue. You are a bit obsessed with that. I blue, love that colour. That fuselage blue is blooming awesome. <laughs> well, that's expensive. <laughs> white white is a, a cheap color to to paint airplanes when you're talking about you know two different colors of blue and gray that's a that's an expensive paint job so but i i think one of from, the nice the nice things about this though is because so and uh, i may be speaking out of turn here and i apologize but i can't help but feel but airlines in general these days are a bit lazy when it comes to their paint jobs <laughs> well, do you know what Not i mean all of them are no but some of them have nice no, but ones. a lot of them they just literally basically t- paint the tail fin and then maybe put a few letters down the side you know and and don't sort of you know very few people go to this this level of of like branding the airplane as theirs do you know what i mean yeah, yeah I, I, I like it. I think yeah. uh, I think this, you know, Neilman knows what he's doing, and yeah. I think he's probably going to be uh, yeah. successful. I got I have to address in the chat room. Uh, I think it was Tony <laughs> Tony S in the chat room who's also wondering what this piece of artwork is behind me. Yes, uh, yes. <laughs> we don't. Tony, love we discussed know. it. 
And we don't know. No, no, indeed. I mean, it's <laughs> it's it's sort of bo- beautiful and horrendous all at the same time. <laughs> it's, it's like when you when you yeah. flo- throw something plastic into a fire and it goes right, and then they just put it, and then they put it on a you know. We're laughing, we're laughing, we're laughing, right? But that's probably about four hundred thousand dollars worth of yeah, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, you know now. I will say now that I spend a lot of time in airports, I do appreciate art in airports or exhibitions. I know I was in O'Hare. Right. I was in O'Hare with Megan, and they had a whole uh, section for the history of O'Hare Airport. So I know Denver's got some artwork. Pittsburgh's mm-hmm. got some artwork. Um, apparently, Phoenix Terminal 4 has some uh, <laughs> interpretive art. So it is. It is nice when you're just wandering around the airport to pontificate what exactly things like this are. Yeah. Uh, worth mentioning in the chat room here. Welcome to Simon Vet. Yes, Simon Vet. Hello yes. to you, Simon. And Doctor Steph has joined us as well. I <laughs> see. Dr. Steph. Yes, absolutely. Uh, does she know you're coming out to see? Them? Yeah, old oh, Steph oh, does. Right, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, good. She's yeah, laying on the limousine when we get there. Is she? Mm, yeah. Oh, lovely. Does she know that? Well, she does now. She I does know. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Next story. And uh, this is one that uh, I saw pop up on my mm. Aviation Herald feed yes. early this yeah, week, yeah. actually. Um, Simon's great site, great uh, little website there mm. for those of you who follow uh, Aviation Herald. But this is on Simple Flying, this one. And headline, Iceland Air's Boeing 757 landing gear collapses at Keflavik. So on the 7th of February, an Iceland Air Boeing 757-200 flying from Berlin, Tegel, Germany to Keflavik, Iceland, uh, had its right main landing gear collapse upon arrival at Keflavik International Airport. Passengers reported that the aircraft bounced as it landed, I bet it did, then collapsed and it's said to have occurred on the second touchdown. Um, was Pip flying that one? Or? At the time of landing, the wind was recorded uh, to be 40 knots with gusts of 53 knots. According to a report by the Aviation Herald, the aircraft skidded on the engine and passengers reported seeing sparks and smoke coming from the engine. Thankfully, there were no injuries uh, reported uh, to the 166 people on board the aircraft. And the weather may have been a factor in the landing, as reports indicate, as we said, 40 knot winds with 53 knot gusts. According to Skyscanner, crosswinds in excess of 30 to 35 knots are generally prohibitive for takeoff and landings, while there is no limit for headwinds. However, for this incident, uh, incident itself, it is unknown what direction the winds were coming from. The uh, 757-200 performing flight FI-529 from Berlin to Keflavik had registration Tango Foxtrot Foxtrot India Alpha. Plane spotters indicate the aircraft is 19 and a half years old. That's quite young for Mm. a 757. And is powered by two Rolls-Royce engines. They'll probably be RB211s, I expect. Originally part of Iberia's fleet, the aircraft went to Iceland Air in 2007, and since then it has been with the airline for the entire time, with the exception of a short period where it was leased to Ghana International Airlines. By me, the temperature difference will be different from there, going from Keflavik to Ghana. By me, mm. uh, according to Flight Rider 24, the aircraft was scheduled to fly uh, next from Keflavik to Copenhagen the following day. All indications point to this flight continuing on as normal with another aircraft. Uh, the uh, 
this is the second landing gear collapse that they've reported one within a span of a week. In fact, the nose gear of a WestJet de Havilland-8 Q400 collapsed uh, while touching down at Terrace Northwest Regional Airport in British Columbia on February the 2nd. Uh, with the WestJet incident, strong winter weather may have been an Im impact on the landing. In December, a similar situation took place involving a United Airlines 737-800 landing at Denver Airport, where its left ge uh, landing gear collapsed, causing a shower of sparks to come from the bottom engine nacelle. The, the aircraft was attended to by emergency services, but again, no injuries were reported in relation to that incident. Mm. Now, Isolair, they, they operate quite a few of these um, 757. Yeah. Actually, to Tony says in the chat room here, he said that's really unusual because uh, the the 757s are built like a tank. They are, they? yeah, and they go like a Porsche. Yeah, I mean, they just they just like trying to kill me when they're on the planes. <laughs> like, no, okay. It, it just goes. It, it shows though these these seven fives. You know, mm. we we jest and stuff, yeah, but yeah. they are blooming good workhorses. You know, this yeah. one was nearly twenty years mm. old, and they're still um, seven fives flying now, 20, yeah. 24, 25 year old aircraft yeah, airframes are still flying. Yeah. Um, they are. They were uh, one of uh, Boeing's um, sort of be better success yeah, stories, definitely. I think, at the time. So. Yeah. Okay, Moving on. on. Yeah, next story. Uh, this is on the express.co.uk, and we're back to Ryanair. Good. Uh, Ryanair luggage policy is deemed abusive by courts. <laughs> uh, does this mean the end of excess abusive fees? Uh, so Ryanair has been forced to financially mm. reimburse a passenger for hand luggage charges after a Spanish court deemed the fees abusive. This is the second time in the last six months the budget airline has faced a legal dispute over its baggage fees. So what does this mean for charges? Uh, so the airline was forced to return the 40 pounds that's 50 euros fee it charged a passenger uh, plus interest which is interesting when her hand luggage was deemed to be above the airline's baggage limits the passenger had been traveling on a liverpool to alicante flight at the time um uh, judge luis forte uh, said that he used article 97 of spain's law of air navigation to make his decision. The court ruling states, the transport provider will be obliged to transport free of charge in the cabin as hand luggage, the objects and bags travellers carry with them, including items acquired in airport shops. Those objects and bags can only be turned away for safety reasons linked to the weight and size of the objects in relation to the characteristics of the plane. The judge also pointed out a September 2014 decision ruling by the Court of Justice stating excess charges for hand luggage were not justified in cases where passengers had not paid a priority boarding tariff. Um, Ryanair fought against this case initially before being forced to return the passengers money. The plaintiff, who was named by uh, Costa Blanca newspaper in Informacion as Matilda Flor Flora, I think, uh, said the 50 euros is not a high sum of money, but if we multiply that cost by all the passengers who pay without having to do so, the amount would be extremely high. That's why I hope this ruling helps other travellers who have experienced the same thing as well as me. The news also comes just the news also comes just five months after a similar ruling in Madrid last October. A separate judge also deemed the fees to be abusive. However, the airline avoided having to pay to change its hand luggage policy by arguing the incident was an isolated case. Uh, both events happened prior to Ryanair changing its hand luggage policy in 2018, which further reduced the amount of passengers the amount passengers can take on board without having to pay a fee. 
Now, we all, it's one of those, isn't it? We all love to hate Ryanair, don't we? But, um, I mean, do you, do you think they'll ever successfully bring a court case like that to, to the UK courts, do you think? Possibly. I mean, it could happen. I mean, it's, it, there's similar things that have happened in the past here in the UK. Mm. I don't quite know how things go in the US in regards to this. But in the UK, I think it's not just Ryanair that have this kind of issue. There are um, times where other airlines, EasyJet being yeah. one of them, have, have had this, this problem in the past. I think even Jet2, I think at one point, for a little while, had, had a similar kind of right. thing. Right. Okay. Yeah, I, I think in the US, Armando, this is, I don't think... This is such a, a big issue for you guys. I mean, you've got Southwest, obviously, but yeah, no, I, I don't think, or at least it doesn't make it into the media very, very much. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I can't. I, I'm sure airlines go through lawsuits all the time, but I suppose I can't. I can't really recall, you know, just a, a frequent argument over baggage policies. That we're, I think, we're pretty liberal here in the US when it comes to baggage policies. I mean, I, I, I suppose I'm, you know, I guess they're just trying to, you know, that, that's how they're making their money, I guess, isn't it? But uh, I mean, the one of the one of the weirdest problems I had actually was uh, where had I gone? Um, I'm trying. To oh, is that the one we had the bag and they, they yeah, said it was? Where, uh, where had I flown to? Oh, I'd, I'd gone to Italy. That was Italy. That, that yeah. was Italy. Wasn't yeah, it? and I'd they gone, said your bag was Aria, too big, hadn't I, for my friend's wedding? Mm. And when I went out. The bag was fine and mm. it passed. When I came home, uh, there was there was somebody who basically was checking all the bags in the airport, and then they deemed that my bag wasn't wasn't suitable. Now I got round it by turning it up the other way round and shoving it in the holder, mm. and then they had no room to to think. But you know, she she was all about to go and get a tape measure and start measuring it. So I can't. I'm surprised didn't get the card machine, like the yeah. portable card. Well, machines. yeah, she probably yeah. did have one. Go on, Armando. Yeah, I was just going to say. I mean, the closest thing that we have anything is is uh, Spirit or Allegiant, and People are pretty used to it here, you know. They they know that uh, they're 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 just blatant about it when you're checking in, and it's just not an. I don't think it's an issue here in the U.S. as much. Yeah. I'm sure a couple times a day these gate agents will probably, yeah, you know, get get challenged on ching, it. Ching ching, yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you see some of the cases that people try and get on board these oh, aircraft, I know, and, I know. And that, you just well, which is all the more reason why I was so annoyed that they then came after me with my little bag. Yeah, and it's yeah, all next that, to you with. Yeah, something, yeah, like something big. the size of a house. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Anyway, <laughs> we could go on and on and on about this. We'll move on oh. to the next story. Armando, this is this is a nice story, actually. A positive in what was inevitable, because let's be honest, uh, Storm Kira has been quite brutal here for us here in the Kira? UK. Sierra? Kira? Uh, no, it's Kira. Kira. It's Kira, absolutely. Yeah, we, yeah. we did, we did uh, at the production meeting, yes. air quotes, <laughs> yeah. uh, we did... <laughs> Get schooled on the proper pronunciation of absolutely because it's an Kira. Irish name actually. Because so the way it's spelled is C I A R A, and I kept calling it Kara, uh, didn't I? When we were doing, when, we, when, when we are they did. just gonna? When are they just gonna have a storm called Bob? Well, to be fair, the one, the, the next one, the one that's Dave? about to, uh, no, the one that's about to hit us over the weekend, Carlos, is called Storm Dennis. <laughs> no, that's that's good. Dennis is good. Right, yeah? okay. I, I can I can relate to Dennis. Okay, right, you can relate to Dennis. You know, Bob, Dave, Dennis, right. Storm, yeah. Bill. Kira's a really lovely name. It's just a bit. Oh, mm. come on. That's a really lovely name. Anyway, enough of this. On the subject yeah. of Storm Kira. Storm Armando. <laughs> storm Armando. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> oh, no. I'm, I'm not a storm. I'm calm winds. Uh, yes. So uh, yeah. this, this winter storm Kira has helped British Airways mm. get back into the history books. So just recently, the 
uh, Boeing 747-436 uh, operating from New York to London op- uh, reached a speed of 825 miles per hour Good heavens. as it was riding a jet stream uh, wave. So the four hour and 56 minute flight arrived at Heathrow 80 minutes ahead of schedule oh on Sunday morning. That's right. On uh, According to a flight radar 24, it beat the previous five hours, 13 minutes hel- held by Norwegian. Mm. So the, let's see, the pilot, this is a statement from the airline. So the pilot will have sat in the aircraft in the core of the jet stream. And at this time of year, it's quite strong. Turbulence in those jet streams can be quite severe, but you can often find it to be a smooth journey. The jet stream that day reached speeds of 260 miles per hour, according to BBC Weather. So despite traveling faster than the speed of sound, uh, the plane would have not broken the sound barrier as it was helped along by fast-moving air. Uh, Relative to the air, the airplane was traveling slower than 801 miles per hour. Uh, So British Airways has said, we always prioritize safety over speed records. However, (laughs) our our highly trained pilots made the most of conditions to get customers back to London well ahead of time. The fastest transatlantic crossing belongs to the British Airways Concorde, which flew from New York to London in two hours, 52 minutes, 59 seconds in 1996. So this is is the first time that something that's happened, which is sub- Sonic, isn't it? That's the phrase that they keep a subsonic using. Aircraft, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Subsonic That's right. Aircraft. Yeah. And uh, again, we were looking at all the tweets and stuff. So this is the flight radar tweet that went out. So fastest across the Atlantic tonight from New York to London so far is the BA one one two at four hours fifty six minutes. Um, what was it VS four? What's VS four? Virgin, yeah. Virgin. Oh, Virgin in four, four six, hours fifty seven. And VS forty six in four hours fifty nine. I mean that's it's just crazy. So if we're not mistaken, BNA takes the fastest subsonic New York to London crossing from Norwegian, which is I mean it's crazy, really, isn't it? Our flights to Charlotte in in June, right? Okay. According to the BA website, are going to take us seven hours. Uh, right. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, if you get lucky and have a jet stream going in the right direction, then it might it might be significantly less than that. Now, interesting because I, I I was really uh, interested in in this story, and I found this from LinkedIn actually. Um, so on Saturday night, from VS4 to JFK, the uh, to, to London Heathrow took a record-breaking four hours, 56 minutes. Whilst we were narrowly beaten by our main competitor by just one minute, the efficiency of our brand-new engine, A350, uh, meant that we achieved uh, the record using half the fuel of their 747. <laughs> so interestingly enough, essentially, what they're, I, I like how they've gone, gone for a bit of spin on this. So it's like, so yes, all right, whilst BA do have the record, we have two less engines than them. Well done, Virgin. Yeah, it's like the moral high ground, isn't it? It's just like, yeah. They're more greener. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I should be playing yeah, just no. we're going green. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but so uh, there we go. Now, this, uh, this winter storm, uh, Kira, mm. has also produced some awesome videos of airplanes trying to land mm. over in Europe. And uh, I've been killing some time watching those and, mm. and some amazing piloting and then some not so amazing piloting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I spe- yes, I suppose you know, it brings out the best or worst in all pilots, I guess, when you when you have uh, uh, weather like this. But uh, yeah, so that's a nice uh, little uh, nice little thing to end on the commercial news. 
Yes, it's always windy where uh, Captain Al's involved. Oh, dear me. Right. <laughs> I, see, I see what you did there. Storm Al. Right. Now, that would be a good storm right, name. Okay, yeah, but that, that, that would have, you know, we're, we're on to the Ds now. So no, no, no. Late. We need to yeah. contact the Weather Centre right. and say okay. storm, Maybe for next year. storm Captain Al right. should be the next storm. <laughs> Well, as as Micah pointed out in the chat room, it's actually not the weather centers that produce the names; it's the media. Oh, okay. So there you go. Just get it out there. Oh, oh no! Hang on, no. It's, Storm no, the no, sun. No, 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 no. It's in the UK. It's done by the Met Office. The names are decided by the Met Office, definitely. Right. We uh, need to, we need to email those guys. One of one of my friends um, is is uh, works for a company called WeatherQuest, based here in Norwich, and I actually asked him that very same question, and they were saying here in the UK, essentially, that the names are decided by the Met Office. Um, but uh, anyway, enough of this. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, just, I have feelings that people are going to get the emails coming now for storm names. Right. Okay. <laughs> you know that's fine. Yeah. Absolutely. What do you think that the next big storm <laughs> should, should be, be called? Named? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, Carlos has obviously put forward a very strong case for Al. You know, uh, send send them please to uh, plus four four seven five seven double two four nine one six six. That's our WhatsApp number. Uh, you can send us a thing through the website plaintalkinguk.com or our email podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. <laughs> go on. Oh, Armando's back. Oh, oh yes, go on. Well, I was going to say you never know. You may actually get the show title published also if you send the right in oh good point uh, yes. send the right name in. Yeah, yeah i like that oh i pr that's what i like to hear yeah. good work good, good PR. Work. well Absolutely. done anyway now it is time for my favorite part it is time for part seven of nick's chat with captain john hutchinson we start this week by learning about some of the perks of being a concord captain i can see that being a concord captain uh you had access to luminaries from a wide circle, <coughs> but being given access to a box in Carnegie Hall must have been a great benefit. What did you like seeing there? A concert. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. I think the most memorable one I went to was Otto Klemperer conducting Beethoven's Ninth. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yes. Which was pretty special. But did, uh, did you manage to get any other side benefits? No, I mean, to me, I, 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 I like music, and those classical musicians were a very special breed. I, in, in my view, they were all geniuses. Mm. They're on a totally different plane from the rest of us. They don't have to compete with anybody because they're above competition. Um, and they were all, without exception, fascinated by the operating of a, operation of an aeroplane. Oh. And of course, we had fl open flight deck doors. Oh. I used to invite them up for come and watch takeoffs, come and watch landings. They'd sit up there during the cruise. Um, I mean, it was a totally different world, wasn't it? Well, indeed. Um, and a much more pleasurable world. And, you know, they were fascinated by it. And I mean, Vladimir Ashkenazi, for instance, I flew him many times. He was like a Roman emperor, this sort of aquiline face fantastic looking chap and um, I remember on one flight I did with him he asked me for my address and I gave him my address and thought no more about it and about two or three weeks later a jiffy bag arrives from Geneva Switzerland and it contained two long playing records one of him conducting one of him playing and on the record sleeves you can tell how long ago it was record sleeves um, he'd written to John Hutchinson with many thanks for many memorable 
Concord flights. And oh. when I looked at the writing on the record sleeve, it was the same writing as on the jiffy bag. So, oh, so he parceled them up himself. Ashkenazi had parceled these up himself and taken them down to Geneva Post Office and posted them oh, to me. Very nice. <laughs> what a lovely man. Which is pretty special. Excellent. Yeah. I read with great interest about your conversation with the BBC from Concord as you flew over St. Athens uh, Air ah, Show. Now, I was just curious <laughs> on the technical aspects. Uh, how did you achieve that? Was it an HF foam patch or something similar? No, it was VHF. Oh, was it? Yeah. So you had to speak quite quickly because yeah. you were going to be out of range pretty yeah. soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'll tell you the story then, mm. so, because this is how I actually basically got into, into working with the BBC. I'd been asked by British Airways a couple of days before the flight, you know, would you mind doing a little piece for the BBC as, you, as I flew past St. Earth? And I said, yeah, sure, of course I will. And I thought, well, there's no point in going overhead at 28,000 feet because they won't see the aeroplane. So I had a word with the air traffic controllers and said, this is what I'd like to do. I'll, I'll climb up initially to 28,000 feet. And then as, I, as we're getting towards St. Athens, I'd like to descend under radar control down to 6,000 feet. And if you can guide me over, over St. Athens. So that's exactly what I did. This is a scheduled flight <laughs> with passengers going to New York on business trips. And we go right over St. Athen, and I call up uh, BBC St. Athen, this is Speedbird Concord 001, do you read? And it was Raymond Baxter on the other and said, Speedbird 001, this is BBC St. Athen, I read you loud and clear. Go ahead with your message. And I then did a spiel as we flew over St. Athen along the lines that we owed the freedom of us, the skies that we enjoy today to those brave people who laid down their lives in the Battle of Britain. And um, I hope you all have a wonderful Battle of Britain air show. And now I must get on my way to New York and open the throttles up and zoomed away. And we carried on to New York. And when I got back, Sue said, there's a chap called Dougie Hesp who's been trying to get hold of you from the BBC. So I said, oh, really? What's his number? And she gave it to me. And I rang him up and he said, oh, he said, you've got a great voice for broadcasting. He said, very distinctive. He said, I want you to come up here and we'll do some tests because we'd like to use you as a sort of, um, as a commentator for air shows. So I went up and did these tests and passed. And then I negotiated with British Airways, who were delighted because now they had a Concorde captain presenting programs for the BBC. So it was it was great sort of um, promotion for British mm. Airways. Mm. So it was a sort of win-win situation. And I had a wonderful time with the BBC, going to all these different air shows, Milden Hall, Biggin Hill, Fairford, all sorts of things, and um, and as a result of that, of course, I got one of my more memorable flights in my logbook, a flight in the Harrier. Oh, marvellous. 
yes. So that was fun. Who was the pilot? It was a chap called... I've put you on the spot, I'm you sorry. Have. <laughs> you have. Air Force chap or a test pilot? No, he's an Air Force chap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember his name. It's in my logbook. Oh, well, well. It's in my logbook. Yeah, we, we'll look for a posterity, perhaps. Excellent. Now, um, part of this was you uh, jumping out of an airplane uh, while doing commentary. It, I was a bit taken aback that you broke the golden rule of all right-minded pilots jumping out of a serviceable airplane, but what was it like? Um, <laughs> bloody stupid thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> what people do just to feature on television. <laughs> I gather it went very well, though. Yeah, well, I mean, I tell you what, the instruction I had, it was at Weston on the Green with the guys who trained the special forces. You don't get better instruction than that. And they're checking you every inch of the way, constantly telling you things and then questioning you to make sure that you've taken the board what it was they just told you. And... Having done all the sort of ground training, we then went up in this um, islander up to 12,000 feet, I think it was. And I jumped out doing what's called accelerated freefall. Oh, wow. Where you jump out with a chap on each elbow. So I went out, there were three RAF jumpers one with a camera and the other two one on each arm and we go into the into the free fall position with them hanging onto my arms just to stabilize me and at one stage i remember the guy with the camera was filming me i could sort of looking at him straight on like this and i started waving to the camera I thought that'd be clever. And I promptly, of course, because I was no longer in the proper free-fall position, I got myself completely unstable. And these two chaps had to grab me tight and get me locked back into the free-fall Aerodynamics, position. John, how could you have forgotten? <laughs> and at 4,000 feet, I then pulled the ripcord. And that was fantastic. It was a square parachute. It was an aerofoil, a rectangular parachute, I should say, rather than a mushroom-shaped parachute. And it's a glider. And I was completely at home. I love and it. And the contrast between the dynamic experience of freefall and gliding along under this wing was quite dramatic, actually. Mm. And I was just in seventh heaven now, and I was doing... I was doing sort of stalls and turns and, and, and of course what you actually do is you come in downwind, base leg, final approach, and I landed Excellent. right on the edge of the landing spot. And they were all frightfully impressed. I said, well, I'm a pilot. I ought to be able to judge glide <laughs> angles. It would have been pretty rum do if I had missed the landing spot completely. I know plenty of pilots that have missed. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, I see you started a company, Flying Concord Charters, for car salesmen. 
Uh, I'm joking, of course, but um, these charters and others you mentioned sort of tells me that the aircraft's utilization rate for scheduled flights wasn't very high and that you were having to dream up new ways of using it. Was that really the beginning of the writing on the wall for the Concorde fleet? That was the beginning of, of, of really getting the aeroplane accepted for charter flying. I mean, British Airways didn't want to charter the aeroplane at all. Oh, to really? Start. No, no, no. No, they f thought it was all going to be far too complicated to do mm. that. Um, you know, let's just stick to our scheduled destinations and leave it at that. And it was people like me with this charter club, as we called it, a group of us had got together, um, a chap called Jock Lowe that I've already mentioned, Mick Burke, a flight engineer called Bill Brown and myself did that. And then eventually this led the way to a company called Goodwood Travel coming on the scene. And they had the resources and the expertise to make a far better job of, of what, what we essentially did was to prove that charters could work. Mm -hmm. And British Airways now realised that charters could work. And that then enabled people like Goodwood Travel and others to come on the scene and do it on a, on a much more professional basis than we were ever able to do. So that was our, I think the first Concorde charter ever was organised by a chap called Brian Calvert, who's a very eminent captain on Concorde, mm. who'd been one of the nucleus group of pilots that were seconded to British Aerospace before the aeroplane ever entered service. Oh, wow. And did their training with Brown Trubshaw and mm -hmm. John Cochran and people. And he organised um, a Concorde charter for his pub. <laughs> I love it. At Allsworth in Berkshire. Huh? And uh, that was the very first charter that was ever done, I think. And that sort of opened the opened a crack in the door which we sort of exploited and and eventually you know the charter side of things became almost as important as the schedule side of things because what it did was well various things it enabled us the taxpayer to go on Concord in at, at an affordable price um, and B, it, the publicity that it got going to all these different destinations was enormous positive publicity for British Airways. Mm. So it became a very, very successful part of the whole Concorde operation. Oh, brilliant, brilliant. Um, something that uh, I took from uh, another interview I listened to, uh, that of uh, David Davis, the uh, Air Registration Board test yep, pilot. Yep, yep. He said that the initial design for Concorde was when the nose was up, uh, the windshield would be covered by a solid metal visor. Um, now, he said that he and the Air Registration Board would have been happy to certify the aircraft uh, in that design. But it was the American FAA that insisted on having glass uh, that they could see through, even when the nose was fully up. How would you have felt flying uh, inside a metal box with steel shutters over the windshield? No, I think 
David Davis was wrong in his thinking about that. Oh, okay. I really do. Um, and <laughs> that clear glass, that visor that you could look through, um, did have value. I mean, I remember on one occasion we were flying to New York and it was south of Gander somewhere and I saw this white ball in the sky. I have to say that there was little I could have done about it because by the time I'd sort of registered this white ball in the sky the next thing was it was whizzing past off our right wing somewhere about a mile away to the right hand side and it was a meteorological balloon. Oh wow. <laughs> with all of its box of tricks hanging mm. underneath. Um, I don't know what would have happened if it had been directly on course. Well, um, it's supposed to be frangible, but when you're doing Mac 2... Yeah, well, I don't know a... whether the shockwave would have would have blasted the thing out of the way. Might mm. have done. But you wouldn't really want one to go down an engine, would you? No, <laughs> no, you would not. Absolutely not. Um, so, you know, I was able to see that. I would n never have even seen it if, um, if it had been a solid visor. Hmm. But it was a marvellous testament to the technology that they managed to eventually create glass that was capable of withstanding it was the temperatures and the pressures. Fantastic the glass, yes. Mm. Absolutely. Made by Triplex, I believe. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, no, it was, did a good job. So fascinating, you know, and when you get the chance to, as we have, watch these after Nev obviously mm. finished doing all the editing and stuff, and you know, you just sit there and you just totally shut. I mean, I literally shut off for the entire, yeah. you know, 15, yeah. 20 tune, minutes tune that each second. Well, we, we've been sat here in the studio for, for you know, the, the whole, mm. the last 14 minutes basically just glued to this. I mean, it, it, it is great. Uh, uh, Tony's actually asked a question in the, in the chat room. Um, like I hope we I hope they release it um, afterwards as a thing. So yeah, no, we are actually going to put it on yeah. YouTube. Um, all of the uh, I think it's nine parts, isn't it, yeah. in total? So we've got uh, a couple more still to come. Yeah. Um, um, but uh, yeah, as I say, great work by by Nev, and more importantly, I mean, great work by Nick as Nick, well. Those yeah. question the questions are great. I know we say this at the end um, of, of every episode, but it's I mean, it's just so interesting, isn't it? I know a lot of the comments that I've had from, from various friends and family who have had the mm. chance to watch this is that, you know, one of the nicest comments that I got personally was that someone said to me, this is better than what I see on, on the BBC. Yeah, yeah, we, absolutely. Geez. Well, and, and I, I mean, in, in <laughs> fairness to, to people, yeah. to, to the mainstream broadcasters, because one of the advantages about doing a podcast is mm. the fact that you're not restrained to times and yeah. limits so you can you can that you know if you want to do a two-hour show you can do a two-hour show you, you're not you know you, you haven't got four and a half minutes to cram in an interview with john hutchinson mm. which you know as we know from this series is impossible to do so, so if anyone's watching yeah. from the bbc and <laughs> yeah, would like yeah. to get in touch with <laughs> us um right to okay. have something <clears throat> Excellent broadcast. Right. Okay. On your yes. channel. Okay. <laughs> and uh, on that bombshell, I think it's. I think it's. Oh. I think it's time to move on. Oh, okay then. We'll move on. So it's time for uh, us to hand the show over to our military expert on the panel. Of course, that's uh, Armando. So over to you.
Hey guys, so uh, we do have a couple military stories this week, and this uh, first one uh, is a, a good example, a great example of some airmanship on behalf of some uh, C, uh, C5 Galaxies crews. Uh, this is from in, uh, Business Insider, and it goes on to explain how the crew of a C5M Super Galaxy aircraft from the 9th Airlift Squadron uh, and the 436th Aircraft Maintenance Squadron started on a mission January 13th, 2020, only to return to Dover 15 days later after encountering, encountering numerous challenges and an in-flight medical emergency along the way. So the air crew, which was 12 persons above, or, or on, the, on board the uh, C-5, whose call sign was REACH190, uh, consisted of, uh, I won't go into their names, but it's a, a good mix of uh, pilots, loadmasters, crew chiefs, um, there was 12 people on board all together, and they tackled an unscripted chain of events and challenges, which altered the length and itinerary of their extraordinary mission. Communication and coordination among the aircrew as anomalies arose was critical to the success of this mission. During the initial aircrew briefing prior to departing Dover, uh, one of the aircrew members em emphasized the importance of safety and communication. Uh, really, the two things that I preach, this is from the aircraft commander, uh, and harp on is the initial air crew, at the initial air crew brief is communication and crew resource management. Those are the two biggest things about flying this airplane with three different crew positions, pilots, flight engineers, and loadmasters, all operating together in order to accomplish the same mission. So the first leg of this mission took them for, to Barksdale Air Force Base in Louisiana. They spent the first four and a half hours, uh, four and a half days, sorry, on the ground uh, before making an unscheduled return to Dover to fix an inoperative weather radar uh, before continuing to their scheduled overseas location with 68 passengers and cargo. The weather radar was inoperative, which would have endangered the mission and the crew if the issue wasn't corrected. So a few minutes into their mission on January 18th, the Super Galaxy had departed Barksdale and was heading back to Dover ascending through an altitude of 18,000 feet above sea level when they received a warning indication saying pressure door open. Uh, that lighted up in the multifunctional display units uh, requiring the aircrew to level off. It's a warning system, so we have to treat everything as a real problem. We suspect that it was an indication problem only, but we had to follow the procedures. So sitting at the flight engineer's uh, panel, uh, the flight engineer determined the aircraft's cabin air pressure was stable as the crew initiated what we call the dash one checklist. Um, so they continued at 10,000 feet. So shortly after initiating this checklist, an intercom call from the troop compartment notified the air crew on the flight deck that one of the passengers was experiencing a seizure and had lost consciousness. So we had one of the passengers come up, leave their seat, come forward to let us know what was going on. With the help of others, uh, they rendered aid to the stricken passenger while keeping the aircraft commander abreast of what was unfolding in the troop compartment. Uh, so he goes on to say that uh, they took care of that passenger. Uh, they decided to divert to the closest airport, which is not easy with a C-5 Galaxy. Uh, Memphis International Airport in Tennessee was right in front of our flight path, wasn't too far away, and we were able to land in about 15 minutes. Air traffic control helped us out greatly by giving us immediate vectors, vectors to uh, Memphis. So due to the weight of the aircraft, which is a staggering 770,000 pounds and the need for medical support, 
the aircraft commander made the decision to declare an in-flight emergency and diverted into Memphis, which has an 11,000-foot runway. So he knew that it was a former C-5 base. And uh, as a side note, Memphis is also a large hub for FedEx. So they're used to large aircraft coming in and out there. Uh, after the unevent uneventful landing, the passenger was escorted off the aircraft, taken to a nearby medical facility. Two and a half later, hours later, they continued back to Dover for the previous required maintenance. Uh, and the aircraft commander says, the, the character of our airmen, character of everyone on board that evening performed ad admirably, and I'm very proud of every single one of them. Um, they continued on to do their overseas deployment with little issue. But why I put this story in there was, you know, we often talk about aircraft mishaps and crew resource management and how air crew are generally really calm about handling multiple uh, factors in an emergency. And this is a good example of how just when you think you have one thing figured out, another thing pops up. Uh, and it's, it's that airmanship that you have to rely upon to prioritize what is the biggest threat to the mission at that moment and communicate that to the rest of the crew and have a, a very quick and efficient discussion amongst the crew to figure out how you're going to tackle each of these challenges uh, in the CRM well, courses we used to call it the air crew cycle. You know, you figure out how much, what the, what the issue is, how much time you have, what a plan, a plan to, to counter that issue, and then you brief it up and make sure everybody's on the same page. So uh, just a, a, an example of a, another day-to-day -day, uh, military crew doing some fine work out there, and congratulations to them, and uh, well done to them and every other military and commercial and business aviation crew out there that uh, remains calm and, and, and tackles these challenges. love talking about success stories like this. Plus, let's not forget the C-5 is not um, a small aircraft as well. No, they're not small and they're not new either. They're, no. they're generally getting a little long in the tooth, so they're, they're kind of maintenance-heavy aircraft, and hmm. uh, often you'll get multiple cautions and warnings and issues going on at the same time, not just in C-5, but, I mean, we were talking a couple months ago about the KC-135 potentially being the first military aircraft to be in service for 100 years. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that is, it, that's amazing, isn't it? Actually, we had Armando, on a side note, last week we had a C-17 doing uh, little uh, soirees over Bungie here, where we are. Ah. Which a lot of pit put, uh, frightened a lot of people. Yeah, there was yeah, some yeah. talk on Facebook of a large yes, aircraft a of at low level yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, over yeah. here. Yeah, yes. And that was a C-17. Yeah. So speaking of C-17s, uh, we have the coronavirus that's uh, going on right now you know it's obviously in the media uh carlos i gave you this story it, it gets a little number heavy in some of these paragraphs but um i've seen photos recently of c-17s uh kc-46s 767s and 747s going in and out of china evacuating these passengers so um that's why i gave you this story because it's always interesting to hear how they actually get these people out of there mm. So this one's on the aviationist.com headline coronavirus. This is how air evacuation of patients under biosafety containment works. A few pictures on this one as well. But uh, on. so the US Air Force, uh, uh, RAF and Italian Air Force 
are the only ones that have the ability to carry out biocontainment missions on board their aircraft. So over the course of the week, a Boeing KC-767A tanker and transport aircraft of the 14th Stormer Wing of the Aeronautica Militaire Italian Air Force will depart, uh, will depart at the Pratica di Marais Air Force Base near Rome to carry out the air evacuation of an Italian student stuck in Wuhan, China, who could not be repatriated along with others on February the 2nd, 2020, because he developed a fever. While the same aircraft has already been taken part in previous flights to the Chinese town, that is the coronavirus epicenter. The next one will be in biocontainment configuration. This kind of mission is flown uh, with an aeromedical isolation crew that can take care of patients in isolated areas of the aircraft with bathrooms uh, uh, because he or she has to be exposed to or infected with highly infectious potential lethal pathogens. For this reason, aircraft involved in the task require specific disinfection and decontamination procedures after each mission. Considered are the pe uh, peculiar health conditions of the patients, it's also important as well to make sure the quality of the flight is not affected by the so-called major and minor uh, stresses of the flight. Major stresses are hypoxia, barometric pressure changes that can induce expansion of trapped gas, decompression and sickness. Minor stresses are dryness, nose, vibrations and turbulence, temperature changes and overall fatigue of flight. ATIS or air transit isolators are boarded for these missions and ATI is a self-contained isolation facility designed to transport safely a patient during air evacuation, protecting the healthcare personnel and crew and the aircraft from exposure to infectious agents. The ATI provides a microbiologically secure environmental layer. Uh, protection layer, multi-layer, around uh, the rigid or semi-rigid frame and a PVC envelope surrounds the patient while allowing observation and treatment of the patient in isolation and an air supply unit puts the ATR unit under negative pressure with HEPA, oh I've heard of these before, HEPA filters, inlet and outlet filters uh, that filter out 99.97% of particles and larger preventing the passage of potentially infected microparticles uh, four 12-volt batteries with an operating time of six hours each provide the ATI 24 hours independent time. Uh, the team is usually composed of a team leader, a doctor, who is responsible for coordinating the mission, uh, manages relations with the civil air entities involved, and supervises all the operations. At least two medical officers, an anesthesiologist and an infectionist, oh, say that when you're drunk, infectious <laughs> disease specialist are responsible for health management of the patient while six non-commissioned officers take care of the patient and carry out transport procedures. Needless to say, all the teams wear protective gear that may vary according to the required biosafety level. That can range from a simple gown, facial mask and gloves up to the full body suit, Tycam C, with positive uh, pressure gloves as well. And there's some various pictures of what Matt's been putting up on the screen there, but um, you can see there's like a containment mm. framework area that can be put yeah. together there with uh, a kind of decontamination area, uh, obviously to build on board the aircraft. And um, yeah, hats off to anyone who, who has to do this work, because it's obviously worrying if you mm. are, you know, a member of the yeah. crew. 
you've got yeah. uh, the potential. But then I know I noticed um, we were actually we were talking about this at work, believe it or not, and because uh, with these projects, there there have been coaches obviously involved in moving people from one place to another. And I, I don't know how much you know about coaches, but one of the things that is required is that you have to have legal lettering. You don't have to have the vehicle sign written, but uh, near the entrance door on the near side, in our case, you have to have legal lettering that says who owns the vehicle. And interestingly enough, the vehicles that have been involved in in doing transporting people from place to place, you know, like either for quarantine purposes or, or whatever, uh, not only have the vehicle registration plates been taken off, but the vehicles are completely white, white, and the legal lettering has also been removed to protect the company mm. that has been helping uh, do do the moving around. And then the driver then spends two weeks in quarantine along with everyone else. Uh, I'm delighted to say, certainly in our industry, on full pay. Um, That's good. And, um, yeah, but I I thought that was an interesting thing because I thought, yeah, because there are crazy people in this world who will say, well, I don't want my child to go on that bus because it was involved in transporting Mm, people to, um, you know, to to this quarantine. When, in fact, obviously, it will have had, you know, it will have been thoroughly cleaned, disinfected and, and all that kind of thing off the back of of something like that the driver who was involved will have been you know subject to the same quarantine as everyone else but there are still people out there who just cannot see the bigger picture and mm. i don't think that's ever going to change is it Armando? Yeah. no he's shaking his head no he's, he's shaking his head no, the next story <laughs> absolutely the next story you've got matt which is yours this this is handy for anyone who uh, may want to purchase some some ex um yeah. u.s air force military hardware. yeah this is on popular mechanics and the headline is the air force could cut loose tons of older planes i'm going on ebay now right okay you go and do that while i read this the the story goes on that the u.s air force is planning major cuts to its fleet of fighters and bombers many of which are three decades old or older the cuts are designed to divert funds away from keeping older less capable planes in service while funding a new generation of fighters and bombers among those on the chopping block are the large numbers of f-15 eagles and the b-1b bomber Uh, the cuts as far as foreign policy rights are part Part of a process of modernizing the Air Force's fleet of warplanes to deal with modern threats. The average age of Air Force cra- aircraft, as a recent Heritage Foundation report pointed out, is 28 years. Retired aircraft will be replaced with new ones, though the plan has been considerably watered down since it was originally proposed months ago. The Air Force wants to retire all 215 F-15C uh, air superiority fighters and F-15 D trainer jets. According to the Air Force magazine's annual Almac, uh, that's the entire F-15 flighter fighter force tasked with the air combat mission. Uh, the service would retain 218 F-15E Strike Eagles, dual role jets capable of both air-to-air and air-to-ground missions. In addition to being capable of both types of combat, the F-15E fleet is significantly younger than the F-15C-D fleet, with uh, production running uh, from the late 1980s to 2001. The Air Force also plans to buy at least 72 brand new F-15 
EXs, uh, procuring the first two uh, in this year's defence budget. Uh, the service also plans to retire a number of F-16 C Block 25 fighters, many of which are over 30 years old. There are seven eight. Uh, there are 700. Sorry, I nearly said seven eight seven. There are 787 F-16 Cs on active and reserve duty. These jets will largely be replaced by the F-35A, though it's unclear if the Air Force plans to replace them on a one-to-one -one basis. The Air Force will also retire 17 B-1B bombers, dropping the total active duty force to 45 B-1Bs. The B-1 force is old, uh, with the last bomber rolling off the production line 32 years ago. Spare parts are hard to find and airframes are fatigued, in large part to the bomber's role as a close air support aircraft over Afghanistan. Fast, heavily armed and with a long-range ground troops like liked the B-1B for its ability to quickly respond to air support requests and then loiter over the battlefield, dropping bombs as and when needed. The B-1B bomber and the B-2 Spirit bomber are scheduled to be replaced by the B-21 Raider bomber starting in the late 2020s. And as Foreign Policy points out, this is simply an acceleration of the retirement schedule. It's also likely a compromise uh, to keep the remaining bombers in service by cannibalising the retired jets for usable parts. You won't find any of those on eBay, I'm afraid. Mm. Uh, the B-1B, like many of the air forces planes has been out of production for so long the contractors would otherwise uh, uh, the contractors that would otherwise supply spare parts are no longer in business or do not have the capability to produce them any longer the 15 b1b's that are retired will probably be sent to davis monthan air force base in uh, arizona home of the boneyard and stripped of parts as needed satellite imagery of the base shows 17 b1b's already at the boneyard many without wings and other parts. The Air Force wanted to retire other aircraft including the MQ-9 Reaper unmanned aerial vehicle, the U-2 spy plane and others but Congress balked. Uh, uh, trading an F-16 for an F-35 is one thing but retiring the MQ-9 would leave a hole in the services capability set. The same goes for the RC-135 rivet joint and reconnaissance aircraft that currently has no planned replacement. Now Armando if you've got um, a spare eight and a half million dollars um, at home somewhere. R right. Um, <laughs> Go on, Carlos. What what can we get for eight point five mil? Right. Uh, there is a fully functional in Florida. This is up for sale in Florida. Oh, oh right. A fully okay. functional uh, F sixteen, um, uh, right which then. is a Block twenty midlife updated <laughs> uh, F sixteen. Um, it's still got 8,000 hours left to fly on the books. It can fly for at least another 8,000 hours. Uh, yeah, 8.5 uh, million dollars will get you that. Let's do it. I mean, yeah. how's the Patreon fund doing? Um, I think it's a little shy of 8.4 million. 8.5 quid. Right, um, okay. <laughs> what if we do it? What if we do it in Tanzanian rubles? Or <laughs> I'm not sure that <laughs> helps. Uh, oh <laughs> my, my. Yes, okay. That's, that's not bad, eight and a half. I mean, I wonder if it, it doesn't say here whether it comes um, fully fueled. Um, and whilst, whilst as we discussed earlier, uh, you're not participating in any kind of, uh, you know, Valentine's Day rituals, Carlos, uh, other than the cards that I'll come back to in a moment, um, there, is, there, is, is there like, you know, are you, do you, Gemma is not going to allow you to put one of those in the garden. Yeah, I, I wouldn't buy an F-16 now. <laughs> you know, oh, I, it this, would, oh, 
this one wouldn't sit in the garden. This one would be flying. So Jim oh, yeah, would be exactly. on board with it. Yeah. Can you imagine me rocking up at, at Seething or, or Ella with an F-16? I think, they'd be, I think they'd wet themselves with glee. You know, frankly, uh, <laughs> you know, there'd be me flying in with this while the the one fifties and the one seventy two. I mean, just of... I mean, there's only one person I can ask this question to, Armando. Just how different is what? What is that? The F sixteen fighter. How different is that to the Cessna one fifty that he's flown? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's just say it would require a little bit of transition training. Right. Okay. All right then. But you know, just a couple of hours, right, and then he'll be he'll be right as rain. Yeah. Yeah, well, if we can pick up an F-15, right. uh, the good-looking Captain Jeff could also, could always just come give us some dual instruction. And, that is true. You know, we'd be all right. That is true. Yeah, Tony S. has said that we need to get a two-seater version so Armando can take us on joyrides. Quite right, absolutely. Yes, there is, there is yeah. no one else I would like more to be in charge of such a beast uh, <laughs> if I was to ever be anywhere near the inside of one, certainly. Seriously, that, that is for sale. That is for sale. Right, um, okay, so, lovely. Yeah. All right, then. Uh, you better put a plea out for Patreon, then. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, if you've got a spare $1 million, <laughs> right, land okay, back yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, it's time to go come to some feedback then if we may Carlos yes we have had some amazing audio feedback sent yep. in to us from I listener. do like repeat offenders actually. I know yeah. and uh, yeah. Nick if you may remember we've had some feedback from Nick Codling before and uh, in this particular piece of audio feedback Nick is talking about uh, the BA and Virgin speed story so uh, Matt if you want to play that hi guys this is Nick Codling here from Devon uh, down near Exeter uh, just wanted to give a bit of audio feedback for a story that I excitedly read yesterday about the beloved Queen of the Skies. Uh, I'm sure some of you might have seen the story about the British Airways flight being the fastest subsonic crossing of the Atlantic from New York to London doing the journey in, I think it says here, four hours and 56 minutes, which beat the previous record which was 5 hours and 13 minutes and that was set by Norwegian so presumably a 787 so uh, yeah I think that's a, a fantastic record and absolutely incredible obviously we've had um, had Storm Ciara Ciara Chiara how are we pronouncing that? I'm not sure. Anyway, that's been causing all sorts of havoc all over the UK, lots of disruption. Um, some interesting plane spotting footage from Heathrow yesterday with some uh, a few uh, few little touch and goes and some crossed up landings occurring. Um, but obviously, the 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 knock on benefit of that for uh, for people travelling transatlantic was the uh, extra fast jet streams which the the pilots were able to take advantage of um apparently they were in the region of 260 miles an hour and the 747 reached a speed of 825 which is absolutely phenomenal um obviously there's the the science bit about how it didn't break the sound barrier because it was the airspeed and not the ground speed but i'm sure us experts don't need to go into all that nonsense. Um, I did read on a separate article that apparently the record was briefly broken by a uh, Virgin Atlantic A350. Um, 
I'm not sure whether that's true. I don't know. I haven't read that anywhere else. But um, anyway, I'm sure that we would all quite like to see this one uh, remain where it is. It's obviously quite sad that the, the 747s are all being retired now and uh, certainly an aircraft that I'm I'm very fond of and I know a lot of people are. Um, having, uh, as, a, as an eight-year-old, written to a well-known children's television program where you uh, would sometimes get your wishes granted. Uh, it was my wish to go on a, uh, on a 747 and, and I wrote to the programme and even did a drawing of the aeroplane. Uh, obviously a rather infamous programme and, and uh, in hindsight, thankfully, uh, I didn't get to go on the programme. So yeah, maybe uh, uh, dodged a bullet there. Uh, but anyway, as a, as a nine-year-old, um, myself and, and my family uh, all travelled to, to the United States where we went and, and lived for a time uh, as part of my dad's job over there. Um, and the highlight of that for me was obviously we got to travel on British Airways on a 747 on the upper deck and myself and my brother also got invited into the cockpit which was a, a, an absolutely phenomenal experience and, and one that I'll never forget. So... Uh, Long may the record continue, and let's hope that it stays with the 747. Little side note, congratulations to the BBC. You actually put the correct aircraft in the uh, photograph accompanying the article, so well done for that. Anyway, that's all from me. Thanks a lot, guys, and uh, look forward to hearing from you soon. Thanks for sending in that feedback, Nick. That is very kind of you. We just heard that, and... Uh, I actually listened to it earlier this week, so I was lucky because I always play the um, feedback that yes, we get absolutely. early on in the week, yeah. so I listen to it like as soon as it appears. Of course. Yeah. But don't forget, if you have any audio feedback, you can send it to our WhatsApp number as well. You can indeed. Yeah, um, so you can, send, you can record it using your mobile phone device and uh, send it to our WhatsApp number, which is plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six. Indeed. Uh, if you want to interact, us, uh, interact with us on social media, search social media for Plain Talking UK, all as one word. Uh, to send us an email, it's podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. The website, www.plaintalkinguk.com. You can buy some T-shirts from there. You can. Uh, you can also send us an email using a, a form on the website. Uh, details about how uh, you can watch the show are also on there. Why not subscribe to our YouTube channel? You can get notifications when we go live, and you can help shape the conversation of the show by joining us in the chat room go to www.youtube.com and search for plain talking uk uh as i say on our website we've also got the uh, amazon link uh, and also uh, why not become a patron to the show you can do that very very easily by clicking on the link on the website and while we are talking about patreon uh then i think it worth mentioning uh the marvelous people who have very kindly donated this month Yes, so we have got to say a very special thank you, as always, this month to everyone who has donated via Patreon and PayPal. So we're going to run through all of our family members who have uh, very kindly helped us out again this month. So that's uh, Adam Spink, uh, Andrew Wilson, Captain Jeff, uh, Chris Griggs, Eric Graves, Evan Shue, Graham Haley, Jacob Darlington, Jeff Ward, Jonathan Warner, Jordan Rose... Uh, Auntie Liz, uh, Magnus Rudbeck, Marsha, uh, Matt Caton, uh, Megan Carrion, uh, Myla, uh, 
Owen as well. Mr. Owen has donated as well. And Neil Lamborn, Nicholas Hewitt, Nico Riga, Philip Labe, Ray Williams, Reuben Wells, uh, Ryan Harper, Schutbacher, uh, Dr. Steph, Steve Andres, Stuart Black, uh, Tanya Wyman, and we've also got some people who have very kindly sent some money through via oh. PayPal, PayPal as yeah. well, which you can Links do Links to that website. are on the website as well. So a big thanks uh, this month to Alan Loveday, who uh, we met at the 300th. Yeah. So big thanks to Alan. Yeah, thanks for your very kind donation. Yeah, he yes, did. Yeah. Uh, Karim, thank you to you as well. Dave Willis, big thanks to you. We met Dave at the 300th as yeah. well. Uh, Richard Adams, big thanks to you, Richard. Jennif, uh, Jenny in Rome, thanks yeah. to you, Jenny. Uh, she's probably cooking her tea right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's usually about now. It's tea time, isn't it? And, yeah. of course, someone else we met at the 300th, yeah. Tony S. Oh, the legend that is as well the, the king of all things grey he is yes yes <laughs> absolutely so big thanks to everyone don't forget we really really do appreciate any donation through paypal or patreon it does all help to do everything in this yeah. room and a lot more we've got tons of stuff planned for this year yeah. including air show visits and stuff which that all goes through to help and there's also a few leads i think there's a few leads that might need oh, to be several wires to, are usually yeah, used yes yeah, that yeah. matt tends to yeah. chew them or eat them How so we have to <laughs> replace them <laughs> and it all helps as well don't forget to pay for the libsyn and all the fees for the website yep. things and stuff like that Absolutely. So big thanks to everyone. Absolutely. That is uh, where we're going to bring the show to a close, I'm afraid. Thank you very much to everyone who has joined us. Uh, the legend that is Armando, thank you so very much. Uh, I, where are you off to uh, this afternoon? Uh, so today I'll be flying up into Sholo, uh, Arizona, then over to Cortez, Colorado, Denver, and I'll end up in Nebraska somewhere. So it's pretty much bouncing up and over the Rockies for the next couple of days. And then I get a couple of days off after that. Oh, so. fantastic. Lovely. Little, little, little bit of time with the family then after that, all being well. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I love the job, but I always miss them when I'm on the road. Yeah, no, I bet. Yeah, and so for me, it's uh, it's half term this week, so not a lot going on uh, for me this week. Lots of cleaning, getting everything ready for, for next week. What about you, uh, Carlos? What have you got going on next week? Um, just building up the excitement ready for june because uh I, I, june, because i i did today book our flights to go out to uh see armando and dr steph in mm. june so we're gonna have a gonna have a little visit out to uh mm. to stay with uh armando and steph in june so really looking forward to that yeah although uh the downside is although nev will be proud of me because i booked our flights right, with ba right. yes we will be flying over on an american airlines oh. a330 oh, Right, okay, because they co-chair, do they? Is, yeah. that, is that why? Okay. Oh, well, never mind. It could be worse. Uh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Obviously, it's Valentine's Day today, as, oh, yeah. as we mentioned. <laughs> uh, Carlos, um, now, I, I would like an explanation, oh. please, of this, please. Um, this for those of you watching in the world of YouTube, <laughs> YouTube this see the is the uh, Valentine's card that I got today. Right. Now, is um, this one that you gave your wife, or no, did your no, wife give this to you? I, I received this card Right, so she's wife. officially as nasty as you, then, essentially. Um, <laughs> it, it's... For those it's, who are listening on the audio podcast, how... how uh, describe um, this image. Well, it's, it's an a image cat of, on a litter tray. Because I love cats. Yes, you do. Yeah, I love yeah. cats, uh, yeah. obviously. 
this particular card is uh, a cat in a litter tray yes. producing a love, a heart. love heart. Yes. Uh, uh, I'll a, leave your imagination a based on the fact. Way. Yes, uh, based on the fact it's in the litter tray. I'll leave your imagination to the rest. It's horrendous. Uh, I don't know if I have the guts to press the next picture. Oh, uh, blind. Prob- probably um, not. Uh, in fact, I won't for, for the pay- purposes of common <laughs> decency and things. Uh, I'll tell you what we'll do as I'll flash it up very quickly. Uh, so oh, this, here we go. If, if you're, you're watching, watching quickly, YouTube, look, this is quick. the only way you'll do it. Three. Two, one, and that's all you're getting. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was that was horrendous. Um, uh, now, uh, mate, uh, for what for what it's worth, uh, I know you've had a very difficult week, and I know you don't want to uh, no, necessarily dwell um, on this, but uh, I just thought, given the fact that uh, he was very proud of you for for the show that that you are very much in charge yeah. of, I just thought we might share this picture uh, with everyone. This is your granddad, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Um, for those of you who might know, some of you might know in the in the community, I, I said. Um, I said goodbye to my granddad um, uh, last weekend, yeah. and he sadly passed away uh, Sunday morning, early yeah. hours. Um, 93, um, wow. ripe old age, uh, ex-Royal Navy chef. Uh, he worked uh, in the later half of the Second World War as a chef on board, oh, wow. uh, on board HMS Rampura. He also later on uh, was part of the Royal Naval Auxiliary Service as well and served um, on board uh, the Loyal Helper, which is one of the, um, uh, the boats in the Royal Naval Auxiliary Service, again as a, as a chef, as a cook. Cool. And uh, yeah, um, I you know, really do miss my granddad. Yeah. He was a massive part of my life. Yeah. And uh, as you can probably see by the picture there, he had a, a penchant for yeah, now, bright now, waistcoats. This, this is a lovely photograph, but Carlos, I'm sorry, we have to, and Armando, do feel free to chip in here. Uh, we have to talk about that waistcoat that you're wearing. Um, <laughs> what is that? <laughs> that it's, it's, a, it's a very shiny waistcoat. Right, okay, that's um, one word for it. Uh, I'm trying to think, uh, Armando, how would you describe that to our audio listeners? <laughs> Oh boy! I mean, gold is in there, definitely. It's, uh, yeah, so it's something you would either see as a decorative banner in Chinatown, <laughs> right? Or perhaps the uh, the drapes in the living room. No, no, it's <laughs> it's lovely, Carlos. It brings okay. out a lovely color in your eyes. Right? Yes, thank absolutely. you. Thank you. I hope. <laughs> I hope you bring that with you to North Carolina. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I no, might do. Should, I yeah, might absolutely. do. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. Uh, but no, he's he's actually a granddad. Before he passed away, stipulated that at, um, at his funeral that he didn't want anyone to wear black. Right. Okay. Nice, colourful. Uh, well, nice and hopefully, in, in honour of him, everybody wearing loud yeah. waistcoats. Let, yeah. Exactly. Let, let's hope that's exactly. what's going to happen. But uh, uh, lots of people saying lovely things in the chat oh, I know. room. Um, I know. Love you all, guys. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Tony S saying uh, sorry. Sorry for your. Um, so sorry, Carlos. My condolences. Chris Griggs thoughts are with you, Carlos. So sorry for your loss, Carlos. Obviously, poor Tanya. Bless her. She's recently lost her mum as well. So our thoughts go out to you as well, my dear. Uh, Charles is saying sorry to hear that, but 93 is a pretty good run. My grandmother was 99 nine and as wow. sad as it was to say goodbye i can only hope for such a long life absolutely good yeah. words charles i like that um it's uh <laughs> tony says is he about to is he about to attend an indian wedding <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, oh apparently it's called golden pea shiny yellow it, it uh, guess, yeah. yeah that's right <laughs> very true micah very absolutely. true it's the give me an upgrade waistcoat is what richard adams is yeah saying. we could try that one uh, and lots of love that. from dr steph to oh thanks guys well. anyway we need to let this man go and fly a plane yes so. armando you've got to go and fly some posh aircraft absolutely now. yeah 
I do. So lots of love to everybody on this lovely Valentine's Day. Yep. And we'll see you guys next week. Yeah, everybody, take care. We'll see you all next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.